Hey everybody, this is Kevin here just to let you know that this is the final installment in our coronavirus bonus reissue of our book review of The Big Lie by Dinesh D'Souza from way, way back in 2018. Oh, those were the good old days. This week we have chapters 7, 8, and 9, the final chapters of that book, and certainly some of the craziest that we have ever encountered. We hope you enjoyed these bonus episodes, and if the virus is still happening at the time, because I'm recording this way ahead of time and I don't know when this episode is issued, then uh, we might have to dip into some of the other book reviews we did way back in the day and put those out for you as well. But anyways, we hope you have enjoyed these uh, extra episodes for the time being. And remember, if you want more of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You can also find us on Twitter at NYGBCpod and on Facebook at NYGBCpod. Remember, we all have to do our part to get through this crisis, so stay safe, stay home, and wash your hands. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And in the final segment this week, we have chapter seven of Dinesh's book. This one, this one's a beauty, people. This one, it's long. This is a long chapter, right? It, or at least it yeah. felt long. And it, yeah, it's because there's so many pictures in the middle of it. Oh, that's yeah. why. But this chapter is entitled American Führers. And mm-hmm. uh, my alternate chapter title for this one is Why Should I Cite Anything When I Can Just Say It? Because this, oh, this chapter was so aggravating. There are no fucking citations where he needs to have them. No fucking citations. It just consists of Dinesh saying things and just hoping nobody's going to look them up. Yeah, mine is, mine is, here's my thesis. Wait, no, not exactly that, though. Hold on. Wait, just ignore everything I just said. That's wrong. Let me come back to that. I'll circle back to it. The end. Our chapter titles are so much better. We should really send them to them. We should send them to (laughs) them. Anyway, this one starts off with a chapter, or a quote, from the Nazi newspaper... Volkischer Beobachter. All German That's words sound good. angry. Solid, yeah. solid. Uh, and this I think is a... it's Volkische, Volkische Beobachter yeah, is the fine. actual pronunciation. You know, I sat next to a German lady on the airplane back to uh, Sacramento. Uh-huh. Did you uh, yell Volkische Beobachter? Because <laughs> I hope you didn't. I gave her my whole one sentence of German that I remember, which was like... Uh, ich habe ein Semestre Deutsche in Schule, something like that. I'm sure that's wrong. I'm sure I got it wrong, but she got it. Uh, anyways, the quote we get at the beginning of this is, Many passages in President Roosevelt's book could have been written by a National Socialist. One can nope. assume he feels considerable affinity with the National Socialist philosophy. So you know right there where we're going with this chapter. FDR was a yep. Nazi. 
extremely good. The guy who fought the Nazis was 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 a Nazi. (laughs) Yeah, the guy who defeated the Nazis was a Nazi. And one of my favorite bits in this we'll get onto later is him being like, you know how Christians fought Christians? Well... (laughs) Nazis could fight Nazis, too. (laughs) So we start off this chapter with uh, Dinesh saying, In the early 1930s, the newly inaugurated Roosevelt administration made a fateful decision. It decided not to attempt to make America into a socialist country. Okay, we can close the chapter now. Because Dinesh Dinesh has said that fascism is socialism. So if he didn't try to make America socialist, he didn't try to make it fascist. Am I right? Cool. Am I right? You're right. If A, is, right. If a equals B and C equals B, then C equals A. I don't know. I'm just going Whatever, there. Man. <laughs> Whatever. So the, the point of this chapter, and this is just boilerplate Republican conservative bullshit, is the New Deal and all the everything that FDR is was socialism. And of course, we know Dinesh said, and, and Dinesh takes it a step further. He just calls it fascism. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he calls it. Uh, he calls it fascism. That's fun. Um, he apparently the middle path between socialism and capitalism is fascism, <laughs> which is <laughs> a bit of an odd one. It's a bit and of an I odd claim to make. We remember, we remember earlier in the book, one of the early chapters, Dinesh claimed that fascism has nothing to do with racism. But yet, how much of this book has been about racism? So much yeah, of this true. book, that's, so that much of this book has point. been about racism, and that's been I part mean, of his trying to prove that the left is fascist. Americans have been racist for a long ass time. Yeah, so. it's very true. And we're going to get to Woodrow Wilson, who nobody disagrees. Woodrow Wilson was fucking racist. Yeah, extremely racist. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Anyway, so uh, he starts off with the basic stuff here. He, again, always claims that the end that Democrats speak is to expand the power of the central government, that equal mm-hmm. evil central government. Uh, and... He starts off talking about Obamacare early in this chapter and compares it to the New Deal. Of course, you can compare Obamacare to the New Deal, right? Trying to expand services for the people. I I think there's a basic, at the very least, comparison to the New Deal there. Uh, But he's saying that essentially Obama engineered a federal takeover of the banking and finance industries. Which... Yeah, which I mean... (laughs) Regulation is, is, a, take- Regulation is a takeover, yeah. I guess. Cool. Oh, L- I mean, let them go out of business. Anarchy in the streets. No one has any money. All good. I know. I know. Uh, so also in this beginning part of the chapter, we get, oh, the best part. Uh, Dinesh has like a few ch- a few paragraphs here where he's saying that the Americans didn't defeat Nazis. Uh, right. So, so his whole point here is that the communists really defeated the Nazis. The Soviet Union yeah, which, defeated the again, Nazis. Yeah, which, again, so we like the communists now. Is that <laughs> the point here? Is that, it's like, is that what we're going Yeah, for? And it's like, yeah, the Soviet Union marched into Berlin, but they were able to do so because we split the war into two fronts and the German couldn't handle both at once. So he said, first FDR did not defeat Hitler, I'm mm-hmm. quoting. It may be said that America under FDR and later under Truman defeated Imperial Japan by taking the lead in the battle for the Pacific and ultimately by dropping the two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But as historian Richard Evans writes in the Third Reich in History and Memory, the Soviet Union was the decisive force in the defeat of Germany. As Evans notes, the Wehrmacht was destroyed in its failed efforts to take Moscow 
and Stalingrad and in the subsequent Soviet counterattack. And most FDR helped accelerate Hitler's ultimate defeat by opening up a new front in the European theatre and by providing the Soviet army with Lend-Lease aid and shipment of American military supplies. Yeah, and so I, what I can't figure out, what I can't figure out here is other than saying FDR isn't as great as people think he is, why Dinesh is trying so hard to say that the Americans didn't do much in World War II? Because he also says... True, America liberated German concentration camps, but none of but these were labor camps, and that's why they had survivors. Yeah. He, yeah, he says it's, it's, the Americans didn't liberate any death camps, right? Which, yeah, and he says none of this is to deprecate the heroism of America's greatest generation, which like that's like saying no offense before saying something extremely <laughs> offensive. Except he said the offensive thing before he said no offense. <laughs> yes, it's very and this strange. Is, and this is where we get to also, his point. I mean, what, what he says is true, but like that's kind of true of any war. Like, mm-hmm. no, absolutely, like, especially one in which allies are fighting. Like you could like the French won World War One technically by taking <laughs> the brunt of, every, but like. Come by on. taking the brunt of the casualties. No, seriously, the French the French were serious. You know in World French War tanks. That's why they didn't want to fight World War Two. You know French tanks have one gear and four. One forward gear reverse. and six reverse gears. Yeah, yeah. You've told me that joke before. I know because <laughs> everyone likes to knock on the French military. Anyway, we're gonna put a. Pin. Well, actually, one of the re- one of the reasons they didn't want to fight so hard in World War Two was because so many people died in World War One. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're gonna put we're gonna put a pin in the chapter real quick because in the middle of this chapter we get this few glossy pages with some photographs uh which i have to say there are are, can you find any point to these photographs because when you get a book that has like a a middle section with some photographs typically the photographs are illustrative of something the photographs are trying to show a point yeah it's all it's all wikimedia commons thing it really is (laughs) it's like a it's like a, a, a portrait of sigmund freud yeah and yeah, so like here, the the thing is that the captions to the photos have they're nothing to do quote with the photos. Te- well, the, no, they do, but they're just like quotes from his book, being like, "Ah, oh, yes, Hitler was the Führer," and then a picture of Hitler. Hitler yeah. was a Nazi. You know who else is a Nazi? <laughs> Progressives. That's that's, well, for example, that's literally like. For example, we get uh, a picture of some violence, which I think was in Berkeley. It looks like it's something that happened probably. in Berkeley. And I th- like one of the kids that I see in the photo looks like a kid I remember when I was out there doing all my photography. Uh, at that, holy shit! Wait a minute. I think I see myself. No, you don't. No fucking way. Okay, but like, there's a dude in khakis. And a gray uh, sweater with a collar, which I own, and that I remember, I wore that out to one of these rallies. It does look too thin to me, be me, to be honest. But <laughs> it could just be catching me at the right angle if I had. All right, I, <laughs> if I had to say so. Um, so yeah. Kevin might be unwittingly. <laughs> in the book, so that's fun. <laughs> I might be in the book. Um, but anyway, the pictures are stupid. Let's go back to the chat. No, 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 no. no. I want to go through a few of these pictures. A few of these pictures because uh, to show just how pointless they are. Right, he has one photo of Freud, Sigmund Freud, because he started off with Freud in the first two paragraphs of as, the first as chapter. As you'll remember, he misquoted Freud yes. for his yes. first foray into being wrong. And then he has, the Nazis invented the technique of turning street thugs into ideological sta- saints, and a picture of Horst Vessel. That one makes sense, I have to say. Uh, the next one is the first concentration camps were democratic slave plantations, and then just a picture of scars on a slave's back. 
I, I, yeah. I gotta say, what the fuck it's, is the point? But the best one. There, there isn't one. There, there isn't one. The best one is the one he has commissioned just for yes! the book. Oh, it's so good. So, this one is beautiful. Uh, and you've probably seen it, because I've seen this on Twitter and things like that. Uh, he says he had it done specifically for this book. And it's a, a, a then and a now photo. And it's a picture of a brown shirt with a swastika armband beating someone who's on the ground. And it says, free speech. That's the then picture. And the now picture, and get how clever this is, it's someone in an Antifa outfit beating someone Doing in a free exactly speech t-shirt. Shit. Yeah. Very good. Oh. Extremely good. Clever. So fucking clever. Anyway, why don't we get back to the chapter now? So, yeah, so he says that FDR on the Depression. Today, even progressive historians concede that FDR didn't save America from the Depression. That's utterly untrue <laughs> what, even when economic recovery began it proved fitful remaining well below late 1920s levels for most of the 1930s yeah do you know why that is because there was a huge fucking recession in 1929 <laughs> so the economy reached its height in 1929 shat itself and the bottom fell out of the economy and then Ugh. obviously it does not perform as well for the next while while it recovers yeah it's like this Dinesh um, pretty simple. do you recall how you had a republican before F whose name was Herbert Hoover, he's kind of important, and how he was there for the Depression and didn't fix it with his yeah. Republican free market ideology where he tried to basically and you remember, do nothing. you remember how, how FDR came in and uh, did fix it with his socialist ideology that well, you're I'll now say, trying to call fascist? I will say that FDR, right, the U.S. didn't get back to normal until post-World War II from the Depression. And a large part of that was just rapid industrialization through World War II and all these things. But the yeah, measures that FDR also, put into it place... It was a huge fucking depression. Mm -hmm. Like, it was real bad. Yeah, but the, the, the point I want to make is, compared to what Herbert Hoover had done of nothing, yeah. the things FDR did helped to start feed people and get people money and get them jobs, right? So it started to pull us out of the Depression, and World War II came along and put that into hyperdrive. Yeah. That would be my point. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And then he goes on to say, of course, FDR did lead America into the fight against Hitler's Germany and Mussolini's Italy. This is my favorite bit, your favorite bit, I mm -hmm. think, too. But this hardly proves that FDR had no affinities with Nazism or fascism. <laughs> By way of analogy, Martin Luther led the Protestants in a fight against the Catholic Church. But we, can we conclude from this that Martin Luther had no affinities with Christianity? Yes, because that's the same. On the contrary, Luther and his followers were devoutly Christian, no less so than the Catholics. So what he's trying to say is FDR was devoutly Nazi. Nazi, no less so than the Nazis. I love this part the because Reformation... I love this part because Dinesh is a hardcore Catholic, and so many people who love Dinesh are fucking evangelicals who say <laughs> that Catholics aren't Christians. It's funny. The Reformation was an intramural fight between two contending groups of Christians, a fight one may say within the house of Christendom. So you may say that this was a fight was within the house of Nazidom. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that. I love that, honestly. All right, we need to move on to the next subsection, the first subsection in this chapter, which is called It Did Happen Here. And in ah, this yes, subsection, the, the main point, I would say, the main thrust of this whole chapter <laughs> is FDR, Mussolini, and Hitler all had this three-way circle jerk. They just fucking loved each other, right? Except That's, they I, didn't. 
Yeah. He's like, oh, FDR loved Mussolini, but also not really, and didn't really do anything like Mussolini. It's so, also I like mean, he just mo- kind of he said something nice about Mussolini one time. That's kind yeah. of it, really. It's also like you know, which most to be of fair, the world Dinesh, Dinesh has done that. Yeah. Dinesh, has, Dinesh oh. has said a nice thing about Mussolini, more than one nice thing about Mussolini. Well, and most of the world thought that the Nazis and the fascists were doing great until we started to find out about all the shit, right? Until well, World more, more more Mussolini than yeah, than uh, than the Hitlers. Well, a lot of people world, praise Hitler yeah. because he did get the German economy going again, right? They were in the, um, they were in even worse depression than the United States, and people who didn't really know about the anti-Semitism or didn't care. Many people didn't care about anti-Semitism because, again, like racism, mm-hmm. it was very prevalent. Uh, mm-hmm. Just thought, great, <laughs> yep. he's getting the economy going again. But uh, I want to start off with one of the examples he gives in this chapter, it, this subsection, it did happen here, is of Italo Balbo, who was an aviator who came to the United States uh, in 1933, and the reception he got from FDR and the American people. And the reason that he got this reception, which Dinesh seems to not notice, is that flying across the Atlantic Ocean was kind of a fucking big deal back then. And he was one of the first to do it. Yeah. That's kind of why they loved him. Aviation was kind of a big deal. Right? And Mm -hmm. he has has this great thing in here. He says that uh, FDR's aides organized a massive downtown ticker tape parade for Balbo in New York, after which Balbo delivered a stirring speech about the virtues of fascism to 65,000 New York Democrats. Dinesh specifies Democrats at Madison Square Garden because the only people who came to see the famous aviator were Democrats. Were Democrats, of course, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they it basically says that he loves him, and then blah 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 blah. blah. It's, it's a list. It's a of list of people. It's a list of Democrats who hosted receptions or it's talked by to talked to Nazis it's, or fascists. It's utterly guilt by association, which mm-hmm. is what he claims we do with Trump. Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, oh, well, ugh, his friend once talked to a Nazi And in the, the, the best part is most of these examples are like 1932, 1934, right? Yeah, before people were <laughs> like, oh, maybe Nazism's bad. I know. Well, not Nazism, but fascism generally. Oh, God. It, it, it just continues on like this. I, this subsection is is really pretty dumb let's do the proto-fascist so the next chub section is called shub section a shub a chub chub section section. yeah it works it's called the proto-fascist uh and this one see and and this is where it gets confused where he gets confused with his own premise because Mm -hmm. he has already said that fdr is a fascist Uh now he's saying he explicitly says that fdr is not a fascist he thinks he's a proto-fascist no, like, no, he thinks Wilson's the process. Oh, okay, you're right. It's you're confusing. Right. It's confusing, but yeah. Well, he will also say later that FDR was not everything that he claimed earlier in the chapter that he was. But yeah, we get that's there. true. <laughs> so we start off with Woodrow Wilson. Everywhere. So he says FDR was Navy Secretary in the Wilson administration and never said anything bad about what Wilson was doing. So, you know, that means everything in the world. Yeah. So FDR, who was Navy Secretary, you know, you World know how War cabinet I. members often often speak out against mm-hmm. the president while they're in office. You know I how know. that happens. Yeah, so common. So com- well, I mean, hats off to Rex Tillerson for calling Donald Trump a dumbass or whatever he did. Well, what, what do you call him? I don't. I don't even remember. A fucking idiot or something. A fucking idiot. Something. That's right. Because I I usually keep all of my stuff on post-it notes on my wall, and when I moved, I took them but all you down. Moved. So I don't have all those notes anymore. I had that one up permanently because I always wanted to remember it. 
But, in the words of Rex Tillerson, you fucking moron. Anyway, he talks about Nietzsche. And if you want to correct me and say, Nietzsche, go fuck yourself. I I wasn't going to. I was just going to laugh at the way you said Nietzsche and not correct you. (laughs) But his point here, uh, he gets to, was Nietzsche died in the 1880s, so obviously there's no direct association between him and fascism. Had he lived, he would have most likely been appalled by Hitler and Mussolini. Nietzsche detested German nationalism and was not an anti-Semite. Cool. Next paragraph. Good for Nietzsche. Next paragraph, and I love this part. On the other hand, Nietzsche was one of Mussolini's favorite thinkers, and Mussolini declared in his time, the will to power in Europe is solely represented by fascism. Next yeah. quote. I love, and this, I, it's a, a couple quotes in a row, but I'm getting to it, and I love this part. If Nietzsche explicitly rejected nationalism and anti-Semitism, what was his appeal to, this, to these men? And... Dinesh, you're so close. You're so close, but no fucking potato. When you ask why Nazis and anti-Semites and white supremacists would be attracted to a leader even though he doesn't like their ideas or outwardly yeah. says he doesn't like, like their I saw, ideas. I saw someone on, so, so there was a news article the other day, like why do, Republic, why do white supremacists keep popping up in Republican primaries? Mm, let me think. God, Jesus Christ. And we get to this other part. He's still just knocking on Nietzsche now. Unencumbered by the moral restraints of Christianity, which Hitler and Mussolini Very also cool. reviled, Nietzsche you know, also what reveled was, the... What pro- was on the Nazis' belt buckles? <laughs> okay, but, mit uns. Uh, excuse me. All those Southern Democrats that Dinesh likes to point out who were slave owners, mm-hmm. were they a bunch of atheists? All um, those... Well, is the South known for a lot of atheism? I mean, I mean slavery is in the Bible, so... That is true. true. Tells you how it's to treat true. your slave. Tells you how much you can beat them. <laughs> if you yep. beat them to death, how you'll get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. So, that uh, those fine moral restraints of Christianity. So, now yeah. he gets to Woodrow Wilson. Uh, he mentioned before, but I should say... Super Everyone racist. knows Woodrow Wilson's a fucking racist. Nobody's yeah. trying to hide that Woodrow Wilson was racist. And we don't so, idolize Woodrow Wilson like the Republican Party idolizes goddamn Andrew Jackson. Yeah, his uh, his one legitimate criticism is that the Treaty of Versailles was probably too harsh. But that wasn't really Wilson's fault. No, no, Wilson actually didn't want the harsh uh, penalties on Germany, the war debt. Yeah, that was France, debt. mostly. Yeah, that was, that, you're right, it was the Continental Allies who wanted those things in the Treaty of Versailles. Because they suffered the most and exactly. spent the most money on the war. Exactly. But um, I, I gotta say that Dinesh also puts in here, Wilson ridiculed the American founders. He was the first president to do so. And just the, the, the fucking... <laughs> I don't and there's no citation, of course, right? Almost everything I've said why, so far, there's been no be? fucking citations for. But like, what's what's your fucking problem with that? I, I we get we haven't talked about this a lot, but the founding fathers were wrong about a lot of shit, right? Yeah. So they were. Why should we not call them out if they're wrong? Well, we, I, we I don't get it. I don't get it. We should. Uh, but he brings up that Wilson implemented racist policies in the federal government uh, and uh, was a fan of the Ku Klux Klan and, of course, notoriously watched Birth of a Nation uh, at the White House, and that sort of helped mm-hmm. to propel Famously. Birth of a Nation forward. Yeah, uh, and I'm reading a fantastic book right now, which I think a lot of people should check out. It's called A Fool's Errand. Uh, it's by Albion Tourget. He was the lawyer for Dread Scott. Uh, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. book. Uh, it's a fictionalized version 
of his life living in the South during the Reconstruction period. It's really good, and it talks a lot about the Southern view of what had happened and slavery and racial relations and all this stuff. It's really great. I really recommend it to everybody. Uh, but mm-hmm. he gets into next Wilson and civil liberties, and he says Wilson suppressed the civil liberties of Americans in a manner never seen before or since. One would have to go uh, to Mussolini's Italy and Nazi Germany to find closer comparisons. And you were going to interrupt? <laughs> no, I just... No, I, 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 I don't really know what to say. <laughs> no citation. There's no citation, of course. Yeah. Of course there's not. Yeah. And but i got to say, again, if he's going to hold this argument, he, if he was trying to be academic about it, he would bring up the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were uh, a World War One. Actually, they were... Uh, the fifth Congress passed the Alien and Sedition Acts, but then they were re-upped during World War I. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, is, is Dinesh going to defend uh, uh, Debs? Or, or is, I, I don't know what he's trying to do. Right? I mean, Wilson did, uh, they, they did push a super racist immigration policy that only allowed mm-hmm. literally, like, it, it gave preferential treatment to European immigrants. Yeah. And, and did, did quota numbers huh. by country and, and, you know who's trying there to do you that go. now you you yeah you know. would think you would think Dinesh would be more pro that but there's just um, no yeah, fucking but, self-awareness it was, that was it was part of the problem later why well it may have been a convenient excuse but one of the reasons why America maybe didn't take more Jewish refugees was because of that mm-hmm. um that act yeah, that the immigration act passed under Wilson, but you know that that may be a convenient excuse, but that was the reason given at the time. Yeah, and uh, I love this next part. The next paragraph, he says, "By this time, I expect my readers to be smiling in full recognition of the big lie territory we're in." And Ugh, I wrote in no, my margins, "We're smiling, but not for the reasons you think." <laughs> no, you are. Yeah, that's right. We're smiling yeah, yeah. because this has all been so ridiculous. We are seven chapters deep. I'm so glad we only have one to go because we pre-recorded chapter eight. We're almost done. And at this point, I can just sit back and laugh about it. How ridiculous this whole book is. I been. can't. It's it's very silly. Yeah. So then, yeah, he was he was like, oh, Booker T. Washington didn't like him. No shit. <laughs> Booker T. Washington didn't like the racist in the White House. No oh, shit. Oh, later he's going to attack W.B. Du Bois. He's gonna... I know. He's going to be like, you know, W.B. Du Bois had some fascist opinions. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Anyway, uh, let's look to Mussolini, shall we? S, to Mussolini. Uh, looking to Mussolini is the name of the next subsection. And in this subsection, we get into the relationship between FDR and Mussolini and the, the love affair Dinesh would like us to believe that the two had. Based on, what, eight or nine quotes between the two? Mm-hmm. A few from yeah, some, some a few from various newspapers and things saying, "Oh, you know, it seems like uh, what FDR is doing is like what the fascists are doing." Yeah, this is my the the opening to this is my favorite bit of this because he says, "If Wilson can be considered America's proto-Führer, Franklin D. Roosevelt became at least for a time America's actual Führer." This isn't my term for FDR. It was coined by Germany's leading newspaper, the Frankfurter Zeitung, in an article comparing FDR to Hitler. The term, but the, and then going on to this, this is the best bit. The term <laughs> Führer means nothing more than leader or supreme leader. And the Frankfurter Zeitung did not mean it as an insult. So what that is, is a translation of a word that means leader, which is what President Roosevelt, as the leader, you might say, of America was so there you go <laughs> i do also i love the way you say zeitung it's very nice zeitung. yeah yeah 
Yeah, just that little Danke. bit of tw- little bit of German twang at the end. L- little twang. Danke schön. Danke schön. Uh, <coughs> so in this chapter, Dinesh is setting up his conspiracy theory that FDR was modeling his New Deal and his administration after fascist Italy. And he, he says... He had no affection for Hitler, though, personally, mm-hmm. at least. Uh-huh. According, he he according to Dinesh. Such. According to Dinesh, and of course, no citation. But mm-hmm. he says... So FDR urged leading members of his brain trust to visit Italy and study Mussolini's fascist policies to see which of them could be integrated into the New Deal. Which... Again, just because something is a fascist policy doesn't mean it can't also be a policy, a populist policy or a socialist policy. Like, that's not how policy works. And again, works. again, what this boils down to is FDR sent some people over to Italy to see what was going on there, right? That was yeah. the fucking yeah, extent to of learn it. and see what was working. Oh, and then... Uh, this I love this as well because he says progressive writer Horace Callan, an early champion of multiculturalism. Multiculturalism is my new favorite favorite dog whistle. It's so great because mm-hmm. I see people like fucking Charlie Kirk using it. That little white supremacist yeah. shit oh, who I could fucking yeah, I could yeah. snap him like a fucking twig. That little fucking I want to use bad words, but I shouldn't. Yeah, um, come on, come. Said it was a great mistake to judge fascism as merely tyrannical, noting it was an experiment in social justice. And I love the use of quotation marks in this because the only thing in quotation marks in that sentence is great mistake. And the rest are Dinesh's words about what she wrote. Yep. 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 And apart from not unlike the communist revolution, which, you know. Uh, So then we get to, in the end of this subsection, the hit on W.E.B. Du Bois. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, very weird. He writes, very weird. the progressive African-American scholar, W.B. Du Bois, said Hitler's dictatorship was absolutely necessary. One of the most the learned in men in American history. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Du Bois even contrasted American racism, which he considered irrational, with Nazi anti-Semitism, which he said was based on reasoned prejudice or economic fear. And I am willing to bet that is extremely taken out of context. Uh, I didn't take the time to look that up. If our listeners want to and let us know, I'll mention it in the next show. I didn't take mm-hmm. the time to look that up because, as I've mentioned before, I'm living in a house without internet, so I'm doing everything on my phone, and I have limited... You know, it takes longer yeah, to do, so I'm not able to look up as much. But let's get into the next subsection, which is called With Compliments from Hitler. It should really have been called From Germany with Love. <laughs> yes! Right, right. I mean, come honestly, on! You had right, that opportunity. I was, I, I, we had the same thought, simpatico, thousands of miles away, <laughs> without even talking to each other about that. That very title. Good. Oh, very good. So, in this subsection, he's writing about. Uh, in this, we talked before about how Mussolini and FDR had this supposed love affair, and now he's saying how much Adolf Hitler loved FDR. Yeah, because being admired for being whatever. It's it's very silly. It it really is. He writes about a, a few articles in G- a German newspaper, uh, the same one I was mispronounced before. Volkische Beobachter. I'm always going to say it that way. Screw didn't you get and better. your pronunciation. You didn't didn't get better. <laughs> two semesters of Spanish or two semesters of German. I had two semesters of German and two semesters of Spanish. How do you like that? Um, but uh, in this, it, it's it's really it's. I don't want to waste time going through it. It's worthless. It's basic. Yeah. Basically, that's the only one he has. We do. Is, we do get a big lie alert there. Oh that's yeah, funny. big lie alert. Big lie alert. Yeah. That <laughs> so, <laughs> that a quote progressive legal scholar said that it was strange that the Nazis praised FDR, which 
that's the big lie that, that is it is a, I that mean, someone it is thought a it was strange, strange. Uh, it is. It is it a little is, strange. It is, it is. It is a little strange. And again, this is all yeah. stuff from like the 1930s or 1926. Yeah. He cites an event from 1926 here. One from 1930, 1933, 1934. Yeah. Dinesh never deals with the recent past or the present in this book. And I expected at some point in this book we would get to the issue of realignment in the 1960s, and we never have. And that shows yeah. you the amount of intellectual integrity Dinesh has. He just yeah. doesn't want does, to deal with there it. There is a quote from Hitler saying, I have sympathy for Mr. Roosevelt because he marches straight toward his objectives over Congress, lobbies, and bureaucracy. That's not really true, though. That's maybe something Hitler had some wishful thinking there. But FDR worked heavily with Congress. That's like the whole point. And, and the other <laughs> thing is, what, do, what is so strange about world leaders complimenting each other, right? World leaders are trying to make shit work, are yeah. trying to get deals, are trying to do... Trump they compliments compliment each other Kim Jong-un all the time. Yes! And what the fuck is so weird Xi about Jinping, this? So. But fucking Dinesh is using Dictator. this as proof of FDR yeah, being exactly. a fascist. So, next subsection. Echo un dittatore. Echo un dittatore. Yeah, you, see, you do the continental accents much better than me. I got much, it. Much, much better. Uh, I got it, don't worry. And he says now, finally... I show how FDR came chillingly close to becoming a fascist dictator during his long Except tenure in office. Except not really. And I love how he has already said that FDR is a fascist, and now he says came close to being a fascist. Yeah, so he was a dictator, and then he goes, um, but I won't say dictator. FDR was a dictator in the Hitler mode, because he never really had Hitler's absolute power, nor of course did he murder his opponents, or gas the Jews, or start a world war. So when I call FDR an American Fuhrer, I mean he was a Fuhrer in the American way rather than in the German way. Um, a better comparison is between FDR and Mussolini, both of whom viewed themselves as a kind of national boss. Uh, but also FDR didn't really have the power that Mussolini had, so he's not really Mussolini either, but it kind of works if you squint. <laughs> that so, last bit was not a direct quote, but yeah, the rest of it was. Yeah. A lot of this subsection is Dinesh complaining about the National Recovery Act and various other New Deal programs. And the National Co Recovery Act didn't last more than a few years before it was struck down the, before no. the Supreme one Court. One fair point, one fair point, FDR did try to pack the courts. Yeah. But... People really didn't like that. Mm -hmm. He and lost like a lot of his majority in Congress at the next election because he tried to pack the courts and people were like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, so Dinesh writes here, these rights, which can be seen under the umbrella of economic liberty, had been since the founding considered just as basic as other fundamental rights like the rights to free speech, religion and assembly. Acting in its role as the protector of minority rights, part of our system of checks and balances, the Supreme Court blocked FDR from overturning 150 years of economic liberty. And I just want to say, Sorry. I just want to say, rights. If Sorry. FDR, look, Sorry. because there is so much language of this Lochner v. New York. My legal nerds know what I'm talking about. This fucking Lochner v. New York uh, economic liberty absolutism in here, which absolutely was not for minorities. It was absolutely no. economic rights for businesses. And no. like Lockerbie, New York was out. When was, was about Plessy versus Ferguson? Yes. Yes. Oh, God. Was in the 1930s, was it? I didn't know that. Yeah. And he, at this point, he takes the time to mock a turn of phrase, right? So uh, with the court packing scheme, FDR was going to add a few new Supreme Court justices, or he Six threatened new. to do so Six in order new. to get things yeah. to, yeah, to change into his favor. And it, he, F. Dinesh mocks 
the turn of phrase that this created, which is the switch in time that saved nine, right? Because it's the Supreme funny Court phrase, yeah, the Supreme Court. It's, it's a stitch in time, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a knitting metaphor. Yes, and what happened was the Supreme Court started uh, uh, not blocking New Deal programs, and so FDR abandoned the court packing scheme. There's nine Supreme Court justices, so you get it the switch also, in time to save nine. There's nothing to uh, there's nothing to actually say that there have to be nine Supreme Court justices. There's no, no legislation. On, no, we've on had how as many we've had as few justices. as six and as many as ten throughout U.S. history. Yeah. So uh, there could have been 15. I mean, it's probably not good. Don't tell Trump there don't have to be nine. Nobody tell Trump that, <laughs> No, please. really don't. But Dinesh, Dinesh we'll says... We'll have a Supreme Court of 30 people, and one of them will be Chris Christie. <laughs> oh, please Jesus don't do Christ. It. But Dinesh says that this phrase was coined to divert attention away from the enormity of what FDR did, which I, I believe that phrase was crafted by a newspaper editor who was trying to sell newspapers. With, right. a, with a headline, yeah. <laughs> with a Very fucking good. headline. So yeah. uh, he sort of sums it up here by saying, the main thrust of fascist economics involves the expansion of centralized state power at the expense of individual rights and the liberty of the private sphere. So FDR's actions in destroying economic liberty are fascist in this sense, because as we know in the United States, we have no economic liberty anymore, right? It's gone. Totally destroyed. Yeah, completely, completely. And the weirdest part in here, probably the dumbest part, uh, is he writes, like FDR, talking about Hitler and Mussolini, these fascist dictators didn't just overthrow the system, but rather persuaded and pressured the system to give them essentially unchecked authority. And I gotta say, there's a huge fucking difference between the enabling act, which gave Hitler unlimited authority, and Mussolini Mm -hmm. just fucking taking power, and a democratically elected president and his democratically elected house and democratically elected Senate passing mm-hmm. things they tr- they want to pass. Ugh. There was no seizure of power, although he probably did abuse the re-election system. But that's mm-hmm. a different thing. And the last thing, thing, the last thing I want to say about this subsection is uh, another close but no potato moment where Dinesh needs to look in the mirror really hard, where he writes. The FCC also let it be known that criticizing the government could lead to a broadcast license revocation. Who does yeah. that sound like? To? Yeah, I just, yeah. I just come on, and I know he wrote this early on into the presidency, right? So he didn't have everything. But Donald Trump had definitely mentioned his desire yeah. to revoke the non-existent licenses for NBC and, and CNN at that point. He mm-hmm. did it in the campaign. To be fair to Dinesh, that is also it is a fair point that that is a bad thing that FDR yeah. did. Yeah, that is definitely cool. Bad. You've so, made three three good points so far, Dinesh, <laughs> in 190 pages. Congratulations. So the next subsection is called A Pact with Racism. And in this, this part, dumb. you know, but honestly, he, if he has valid points here, right? That FDR cozied up to the racists and let them run oh, run yeah, wild so that he could get his New Deal programs passed. That's and we true. all recognize that also, that's a bad thing. But again, political bosses still existed at this point in time. It's really hard not to like not to excuse it in any way, but it's really hard to get power if you don't cozy up with the racists at this yeah. point in time. But the the dumb thing is that because everyone was fucking racist. Yeah. Well, the dumb thing is that Dinesh brings up Hugo Black, who was a formal former Klansman, a senator, and then a justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, and I gotta say to Dinesh, conservatives, conservative judicial activists, fucking love Hugo Black. 
because he's all about fucking judicial restraint and not involving the court in economic issues. That fucking Hugo Black, dude. It's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, and also, he brings up in here he's that, right that FDR... He's right about internment, too. He is. He absolutely is. But Dinesh is so fucking blind about the fact that now it's all Democrats who complain about this racist shit and conservatives who ignore it and pretend nothing bad ever happened. Yeah. Right? He says the FDR didn't desegregate the military. Doesn't mention that Harry Truman, his Democratic successor, did. Right? Yeah. Just ignoring things when they're convenient and bringing them up when they're when they're also convenient. So the last subsection yeah, exactly. here, we're almost done. This has been a long episode. The last subsection is called. It's nearly one thirty in uh, the morning. I'm so. I know. Tired. I'm. I know. But hey, you decided to go see Othello. That's uh, true. It was this really one good. Is, you should go see it if you're in New York. <laughs> this one is called Tricksters on the Left. Uh, and in this subsection, he has no fucking points. He has no fucking points. Right? He he just attacks Ira Castleson. That's his only point here. Says Ira Castleson is lying because he's saying that whatever. I I, I don't fucking get the point. I, he doesn't like Ira Castleson. I get. I guess that's the point he's trying to say. Castleson uh, says that FDR did good things despite the racism. Yeah, FDR had to work with Congress. Well, yeah, that's how America works. I, I, I don't fucking get it. Or so it again, as I always do, I'm going to read the last paragraph of this chapter, and that is, For all his qualms and head-scratching over FDR's fascist tactics of strong-arming the courts and usurping the authority of Congress and fostering the ugliest forms of racism, Castnelson is good with them in the end because they helped achieve FDR's fascist goal of expanded centralized power. And this is the fascism of the left we live with now, both in the left's perpetual ideological push for enlarging government power and also in the left's willingness to use whatever sleazy and base tactics that are necessary to get from here to there. FDR was not only America's original Fuhrer, he also helped create armies of American brown shirts on the left that are very much with us today. I love the last sentence because at no point did he ever refer to anything fucking like that. No. <laughs> and that! It's that Antifa picture all over That, again. everyone, is chapter 7 of Dinesh II's book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. And welcome back to the third segment this week. This week, we are joined by the amazing, incomparable Aaron Rabinowitz of Brace the Void. Aaron, how you doing today? Uh, I'm all uh, juiced up on all the substances and ready to do some Dinesh. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what's required. I, I, have the, I have the handle within arm's reach. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, Aaron, normally when we record the show, you know, off air... Benedict will give me some stuff to warm me up and get my juices flowing. Uh, and since you're on this week, I thought in those soft, dulcet tones, you could say for me, moral luck is a harsh mistress. Mm. I don't understand how any of you find my tones anything, especially dulcet. <laughs> um, but sure, uh, moral luck is a harsh mistress. Beautiful. Okay. It's just what I needed. Yeah. So wet now. I'm so wet. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, this week, we have chapter eight of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. And this chapter is called The Politics of Intimidation, which, as far as I can tell, has almost nothing to do with what we read about. No. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of, like, shoving some people around during one of the sections, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit. Not a unlike the bit. realities of our current situation, it is a bit overstated. <laughs> 
Uh, doesn't really deserve <laughs> yes. the chapter title, I don't think. Doesn't really deserve no, a chapter, no. does it? I mean, honestly. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my substitute chapter title for this week is Who Did I Forget to Call Nazis? Did I Call Any Jews Nazis? Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> Very good. Mine is mine is Empty Chairs at Empty Tables, colon, the George Soros story. <laughs> oh, sad. <laughs> um, that is sad. <laughs> I, I was going to go with fascists all the way down, but... <laughs> Your moral luck thing earlier makes me think that maybe what I should go with is Heidegger, Soros, and moral luck. That's a little maybe that's a little on the nose, though. It's a very academic title. Yeah, it's a little drier than the other one. The other one's a little more evocative. Yeah. Just yeah. let me know what journal you publish mm. that in. I'll make sure. No, I never. I tried never to publish anything. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Lessons to be learned. Dinesh, Dinesh, Dinesh could take yeah, a yeah, look how it went for Dinesh, right? <laughs> Why would I want to be on that side of the situation? Yeah, we could be mocking you on our podcast. It would be very whole easy to entire do so. Book. <laughs> All right, so starting off this chapter, we have a quote, again, from Robert Paxton. He's used Paxton a lot in this book. Uh, but the quote he gives us from Robert Paxton this week is, The legitimation of violence against a demonized internal enemy brings us close to the heart of fascism. Wait, hold on one second. D- isn't Paxton the guy that he always tries to discredit and now he's opening a yes, chapter with a yes. quote from fucking Paxton? Great. <laughs> cool. Very good. It's cherry picking at its finest. I really enjoy the irony of that quote because, right, because he's going to do... He's going to talk about Jews for the whole chapter, but not in the way you think, right? It's a bit of a, like, no. bait and switch. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and that is, that is the thing about this opening part of the chapter, is that it starts off with the Jewish lie. Yeah. This chapter, he doesn't realize what he's saying, but he's starting off with the Jewish lie here. And I'll say the quote right here, because his point for this beginning part of the chapter is, quote, The left doesn't need to rely on the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA because it already has three of the most powerful institutions of our society. The left dominates academia, Hollywood, and the media. If you replace left with Jew in that sentence, you have my comp. Yeah. This is, it's literally like the time in chapter five or whatever it was when he was like, oh man, remember how Hitler thought the Jews controlled the financial world? Well, now the left thinks Wall Street's evil, so that's the same. <laughs> oh, and also the Jews still control the financial world. I mean, what? What are we, yeah. what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Who said what now? Huh? Why did the Why did the liberals turn on the Jews? That's the clear question that follows from those claims. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. We took them out and replaced them with leftists. Yeah. Dinesh's yeah. favorite word. At least it's so not he's cultural not... Marxists yet. We haven't got to that yet. <laughs> I don't think he's going to say that at all in this book, but I really wish he would have thrown it in there. Uh, so we start off, and he's t- he starts off talking about Hollywood first, right? That's his first target. And his proof that Hollywood is controlled by the liberal elite is Tim Allen's show got canceled. Which just got renewed by Fox, by the way. I know! Like, everything in this book, it's very, like, it, it's a very poorly, like, the most poorly chosen example he could possibly choose. Very nearly. Like, literally, oh. the, yeah, the the book, the book, the, 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 the oh my god, the series. It's called Last Man canceled. Standing. Last Man Standing. <laughs> it just got renewed. And, like, Vox has a good piece on this, but it's just, like, all Dinesh's fleeting examples. And, like, the media stuff as well. Oh, like, oh, Fox News, Sinclair Broadcasting Group. Like, as if no one's heard of those things. Yeah. yeah. Last Man Standing almost Ugh. killed off Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a show involving a bunch I of diverse know. individuals being actually funny. 
Well, apparently also <laughs> it's because Fo- like the Vox piece, not to get too deep into it, but uh, like Fox owned the... F- it was produced by Fox Studios, mm-hmm. Last Man Standing, mm-hmm. and had been sold to ABC because of their like reputation for that type of comedy. And uh, NBC produced Brooklyn Nine Nine, and now they're back on like their home networks, which is going to become more of a thing in the future, apparently. So, if anyone's interested in why they've essentially switched ne- networks, that's why. Yeah. And I mean, look, that's not look, funny. That's just true. I'll, I'll, I'll steal Man Dinesh here, right? Liberals do dominate the media because we're better at it as far as i can tell right like <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. our art makes more money like what do you want from us yeah. like well, i'm also, sorry the like, black the panther is... is so popular yeah because it's a good movie <laughs> it's really but good the thing is, i think like it resonates more because we we've seen that conservatives like very often have to lie about their intentions to get elected mm-hmm. like oh yeah we're not gonna cut ta- try making a film about fucking cutting taxes for the rich and see how much money that makes yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, it's also, look, look at the people they have. I will take Patton Oswalt by himself against fucking Larry the Cable Guy and Jeff Foxworthy and every fucking person they have. They're just not funny or creative or talented. They're just garbage. Yeah, I don't understand why all the essentialists haven't spent a little bit of time on the weirdly essential difference between the quality of comedy on the left and the right. Cause I'm like, <laughs> um, excuse me. Did you not hear about Dave Rubin's comeback to comedy? Oh, man. <laughs> well, patrons, right. you know, like you, you guys know, haven't heard. We, right. Dennis, Dennis we Miller, have a Patreon Dennis goal. Miller and, um, uh, Ricky Gervais are like one person away from playing doubles. I'm so happy for them. <laughs> we, we have a Patreon goal that if we reach enough money on patreon.com forward slash Kevin and Benedict, Benedict and I will go see Dave Rubin doing Ugh. stand-up. That is a Patreon Ugh. goal. Yeah. I yeah. agree. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, moving on, he gets into, well, hold of course, on, hold academia. On. One, one second. Okay. Before, before you start, can I just point out, he says... Uh, <laughs> the right-wing Fox News channel has a big audience compared to other cable networks, but it is under constant siege. No. Yeah. And in any case, its audience <laughs> is a tiny fraction of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Conservative talk radio, for all its reach, is collectively smaller than state-run national public radio. You see how he makes that sound communist? Which is an organ of the political left. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> See, and this is this is great because I have been with my parents for the last week and a half, right? And every time I drive my mom's car, I've been borrowing it, I turn the radio to NPR and I leave it there when I get out. And then my mom gets in the car and this, you know, she's a conservative older white woman and she gets in the car and she'll listen to it for a while. And then next time I see her, she'll say, what's that radio station you had on in the car? I really like it. This is a person who has told me that NPR is this left wing evil organization. Yeah. Blaming the emergence of they don't actually listen to. Yeah, it. this is where this is where Dinesh and I are going to part in like the um, Hollywood. We, <laughs> we totally do own Hollywood. I'm like he's not he's not wrong. We're just better at it. Mm-hmm. But like when it comes to the media, yeah. right? The blaming the emergence of right wing media on the left wing media is preposterous. You can blame the emergence of right wing media on two things: Rupert Murdoch being good at getting richer, and Roger Ailes <laughs> needing cover so that he could sexually harass as many women as possible with impunity. Like those those are. <laughs> why the right-wing media succeeded those two very very clever horrible people succeeded in their very clever horrible goals well i mean what it's actually like is 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 blaming the rise of nazis on people being called nazis it's the same shit it's the same shit different different wording man deep cuts yeah all right so we move on 
We move on to the next subsection in this chapter. This is called the culture, or not the, but just says culture of intimidation. Wow, he should have put a the there. That bothers me. Mm-hmm. Dumb grammar bothers <laughs> me. Anyway, we start we start off and we go down now the rabbit hole of uh, deplatforming, shutting down speakers, and all this sort. Yeah. Alternative and title Dinesh- for this subsection: Why don't you like me? Right now, now we get onto my home turf, the academia. Right, the third, the yeah. third oh, yeah. of the the three parts of our evil um, triumvirate. Well, but, but first of all, he talks about like, oh, Hollywood used to be conservative. Look, Reagan used to be there. Ugh. Weird. But also, like, first of all, America's like a lot of America's most popular fucking films are dumb. Like, like, oh, support our troops, like propaganda, essentially. Like, which fine, whatever. Patriotism porn. Yeah, patriotism porn, which is is, is a right wing thing. So don't pretend that that's non-existent in Hollywood too. Yeah. I definitely oh. want to put a pin in Reagan because he's going to say some shit about Che Guevara later. And I just want to <laughs> oh, yeah. come back around to the hypocrisy <laughs> of hating one of these people while while loving another one. Um, but yeah, so universities, which apparently it turns out are using the most powerful weapon known to man, diversity statements, in order to weed out conservatives. <laughs> that was a fascinating little nugget to discover. I don't think I've oh I've I never know. come under the axe of a diversity statement before, but <laughs> as a white cis straight male, I assume it's coming inevitably. Yep. Oh, just wait, just wait. They'll come for you. But he starts off it's sort of a, a a small thesis that maybe lasts a paragraph or two. He says, "Young people today don't reject conservatism. They don't know what it mm-hmm. is." If you ask students on even our best campuses what are conservatives attempting to conserve, they give you gaping, uncomprehending stares. I would love to ask conservatives what they're trying to conserve. That is a fair point. <laughs> I, can, I can say explicitly this is not, in fact, the case. Uh, teaching ethics every semester, I have individuals in my class who are explicitly conservative. They write conservative pro-life papers in in response to the prompts and they get good grades and it's great um and they argue sometimes in class when they feel comfortable he's right that they feel a little i think under siege sometimes or a little anxious about expressing their conservative views in the classroom but honestly Mm -hmm. i think it's because these fuckers have been telling them that people are going to fuck them up for doing so yeah this is, it, it's exactly like, I love that he's like conservative voices are hounded, but at the same time is writing this book. Like yeah. it's literally, it's like Kevin Williamson writing about how he's been silenced in the op-ed pages of the Wall Street Journal. Like it's completely <laughs> stupid and doesn't stand up to like the first bit of scrutiny. Like if you were actually being silenced, we would not hear a peep out of you and you certainly wouldn't have a book deal. Yeah. Well, and, and Aaron, you brought up, right, Pete, your students who you have conservative students who would write conservative papers and you teach ethics. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can see how in, where there's room for wiggle there, where there's argument over what is ethics, all that kind of stuff. Great. That conservatives can can speak there. The problem with uh, that I have is I, you know, obviously I graduated last week. Yay, me. Two weeks ago. <laughs> when this airs. Uh, from UC Berkeley, I was in political science. In political science, there are, surprisingly, hard facts. Mm. And the conservative students in political science classes will just say inane, stupid bullshit and be pissed off when everyone else in the room has the facts, the knowledge, and the intelligence to show them how they're wrong. I'm pretty sure political science is one of those soft sciences, and so I'm just going to ignore all the things you said <laughs> after any of that. 
great. <laughs> you just you really took Dinesh's message message to heart. Yeah. So we can move no. on. As far as I understand it, look, we are the beating heart of the evil liberal empire. Academics make shit up. That's right. We hand it to the media. They hand it to Hollywood. And then you get gays, <laughs> right? Like Will and Grace. And then, like, of course, you bring back Will and Grace as a reboot because nothing in this culture ever dies. So, like... Well, because there weren't enough gays. They needed to make more yeah, it's gays. Like a culture of life thing, right? Endless reboots forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Lion King. It's um, the circle of life. Speaking of like shitty examples of people getting silenced, I wanted to bring up his example of McInnes because this was not someone who mm-hmm. I was familiar with. So I deigned to oh, do a really? little bit of lucky you. I mean, like you know, I don't know. All... <laughs> this is the head proud boy. Well, this that's is the I head discover. proud. Like, boy. I, I can't tell. All, I can't keep all the white people apart, right? Like there's there's so <laughs> many white men who are young and angry and like. I'm sorry, I, they all look the same, and that's racist, but whatever. Um, so, like, yeah, he coined the term Proud Boy. So, like, he's a misogynistic neo-Nazi. Congratulations. But I also wanted to read directly from an article about the the event where um, Dinesh claims that he was brutally assaulted by protesters, <laughs> right? Direct quote. But according to someone who attended the event and was involved in the planning details, McInnes insisted on interacting with the protesters, brusquely refusing to use a side entrance that the NYU officials had arranged for him after seeing growing calls on social media for protesters to assemble out front. Instead, he demanded to barge through the protesters to the front door with a large entourage he insisted on bringing. Virtually all the violence that took place was the result of that decision, the witness said. Like, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I, I got I to go after that a little bit because, right, the violence was the fault of the people who committed violence, right? People chose to commit violence. But he made a stupid fucking decision because he wanted no, to No, he knew what, it's not a stupid decision. It's a smart decision because he knew what yeah. would come of it. It's a tactical maneuver deliberately designed to provoke mild violence for the sake of playing victim and then to make fun of other people for playing victim (sighs) like what the fuck yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's true yeah yeah so the beginning part of this subsection is like you were talking about basically a list of conservative speakers who have been shut down on college campus it's also not a very long list (laughs) because it isn't a very long list not compared to the number of universities certainly (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but but then he carries on. So he's trying to show right the leftists on universities. They all hate the conservatives and they embrace these terrible, awful, evil people. And of course, he brings up his favorite whipping boy, Bill Ayers. He has to mention Bill Ayers at some point. I knew it was coming. Dinesh can't write more than I don't know how many pages we've we been through. Two hundred pages without mentioning Bill Ayers. So he brings up Bill Ayers, who was a university at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and Bernadine Dorn, who uh, taught at Northwestern Law School, his wife. And I just, I'm nitpicky here. I'm really fucking nitpicky because he writes in the present tense that Ayers and Dorn are professors. Dorn retired in 2013 and Ayers retired before this book was published. You just had to Google, Dinesh. (laughs) Google's not his strong point. We know that. I mean, I know, I know. And then we get into the part that you were excited about, where he mentions Che Guevara. Right, right. He wants to complain about Che Guevara being a terrible person. And, like, you know, people wear Che shirts, I guess. I don't think I've seen one in a couple of years. But, like, 
sure. Some... Yeah, it's a very 10 years ago thing. Right. I think I, I, I probably had one at some point. I mean, but... I, yeah, I guess that liberals wear his shirts the way that, like, young conservatives read Ayn Rand and then unfortunately never grow out of it, <laughs> unlike the Che Guevara shirts, which wear out, and then they don't replace them with new Che Guevara shirts. But, like, what drives me crazy is that, like... They just jerk off to their fantasy of a fucking train explosion in a right. tunnel. But he wants to, like, demonize the violence of Che Guevara... And, and at the same time, beatify Ronald Reagan, a guy whose government <laughs> literally funded death squads in South America. <laughs> Not figuratively funded death oh. squads, the way that I figuratively fund death squads if, you know, I consume... <laughs> in the way we all substance. do with American taxes. Right, exactly. No, I mean, like, very, very literally took money from... Iranians, high Iranians who were probably going to sell bombs to again eventually, right? Now, uh, whatever, right? It's all out the window now. But like, yeah, he took all that money and he gave it to death squads in South America. So fuck him, fuck Reagan, and fuck D'Souza. Like, we did a history episode about that. Uh, yeah, we, if you're interested, <laughs> about, go check it out yeah. about the Sandinistas and the and Nicaragua and Honduras. Um, yeah, go check that. Yes, out. It, but yeah, yeah, no, it'll, right. it'll be it's, a good refresher, right? Because you know, there's a better than twenty five percent chance that everyone in Donald Trump's administration is going to go down in flames except Donald Trump, who will play the I'm too stupid to be convicted card, just like yeah. Ronald Reagan. That's true, yeah. Uh, so next, the next oh, on, part, on, on, is actually I, the I second... I have one more from this one before we move on. Is it? Is it the second half of this paragraph? Okay, maybe it's the direct quote about our culture. It, yeah. No, 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 okay, no. No, on. no, I had Trayvon Martin, hold on. Yes, that's what I had. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> That's what I have. As long as, as, long as we take like, a pause at some point for our hours as a culture of ritual abuse and humiliation, I will be happy. But continue <laughs> on. <laughs> well, the second half of the paragraph about Che Guevara is, uh, tra tra begins, Trayvon Martin was a street hoodlum who got into a violent scuffle with a man who shot him in self-defense. Um, okay. Do we really, like, I'm not sure that's the play here. Like if you if you want people to sympathize, Che Guevara when the was the guy evil, who shot Trayvon George... Martin was just arrested again last yeah, fucking for week. stalking people with his guns. Yes, Dinesh thinks it's um, a good yeah. idea to talk shit to mass shooting survivors. So yeah, I think he's yeah, probably going to demonize the dead black kid. I think that's his move, yeah. right? Oh. Yeah, Trayvon immediately became a martyr to the progressive cause, and President Obama validated his sainthood by saying that Trayvon could have been his son. So. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. That uh, that sentence made me feel dirty. That was just gross. Yeah. yeah. It's a really trenchant um, discussion of the systemic culture of violence within our society with regard to black male lives, right? He's really digging yeah. in deep to the key issues, I feel like, here. Yeah. Oh, because the, the whole point of this chapter, the whole I think the point of this chapter was Dinesh had a list pinned onto his wall of, okay, these are all the groups I need to call Nazis or demonize in this book. And he got to the end, he had like a whole bunch of groups and people he hadn't got to yet and went, fuck, I have to fit them in somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which makes me wonder why he had so much time for Heidegger. But yeah, sure. I oh, mean, yeah. like, all right. oh, God. <laughs> All right, let's let Aaron say his bit then, and then we'll, we'll yes, get on to the next yes. bit, because it's, it's a long chapter ahead, folks. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, he this guy says ours is a culture of ritual abuse and humiliation as a call-out to liberals who he thinks are overly abusive and demonizing. This is the same douchebag who attacked high schoolers on Twitter. 
He mm-hmm, made mm-hmm. fun of mass shooting survivors and now can say, oh, but the liberals have promoted a culture of ritual abuse and humiliation. This guy should really, really consider going and fucking himself. Yeah. And again, well, to be also, fair, hold that on. was one, after. One second, Kevin. <laughs> again, has written a book about how the left are Nazis. As yeah. if that's Literally. not any kind of abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The the back nine but of this chapter is just ad hominem attacks against individuals. But sure, <laughs> we're a culture of ritual abuse and humiliation. Let's go make fun of a small child who survived the Holocaust. Come on, kids, off we go. Oh fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, we get back into. We get back into, of course, he's he's still going after academia. And he points out, I just, this sentence stuck out to me for some reason. He said, there is no need for the left to burn or ban politically objectionable books. They simply don't assign them. I want to know, does Dinesh think that his books should be assigned reading at colleges? Mm. Also, does he think those are the only books you're allowed to read? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Has he been in a fucking college library? I could teach a course on propaganda no. and assign him, I suppose, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. right. Of in all of uh, Rush Limbaugh's yeah. brothers' books. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So moving on to the next subsection. This one is called Progressive Gleichschaltung. Gleichschaltung. Progressive. Too many consonants in a row. Is is the title <laughs> exactly. of this chapter? Germans. <laughs> <laughs> and he writes here, and this was this is the best part. He says Gleichschaltung, which if you don't know, that was the uh, German, the Nazi term for. Uh, uh, pressuring people into conformity. He says, Gleichschaltung is the original political correctness. Because, of course, we need to draw parallels where none fucking exist. Yep. yep. That's, yep. My, my notes for the first part of the section are, and there's Soros. <laughs> yes. There we go. Oh, he'll come yeah. back later. Soros will come back yeah. later. I Don't mean, worry. The, the, the first section of this is like, oh, so there's this guy who was a brown shirt and the communists killed him. And the, uh, the Nazis then turned him into a hero, which is a bit like Trayvon Martin's death. What? Yeah. Again? Just like that. You're fucking kidding me. You, you, know who else, you know who else was used for change after they died? MLK. MLK is kind of a Nazi, right? Yeah. When you think about <laughs> when you think it. When you really think about it. MLK's a, really a bit it. of a brown shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his peaceful demonstrations where other people came in and beat them all up. That's, yep. yeah, totally the same. Um, Anyway, this is a really short subsection, so we're just going to move on to the next one really quickly. It's bad, though. And this next, so, I mean, this, this, yeah. this, <laughs> this next one is great. This is called The Left's Favorite Nazi. Mm. And in this section, he relies basically upon... Well, he, he, does, he doesn't really say who the left's favorite Nazi is. It's hard is. to pick what just I one, I think he's right? saying... I mean, it's right? I think he's implying it's I have Heidegger. so many. You got many. options. I have so many. Goebbels for I mean, looks, right? <laughs> Him, oh, Himmler that, yeah. for his really witty banter, from what I understand. Well, and Himmler I'm for his take man. on vegetarianism. Right? So. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the vegetarianism. We will get to the vegetarianism. Yeah. Quite, oh god, right. it's so good. It's <laughs> good so for good. the so, environment. <laughs> in this chapter, uh, or in this subsection, he starts talking about uh, Martin Heidegger. Yeah, I would, I would other, like to point uh, out that my notes for this subsection says "let Aaron talk." So. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out my notes open with Heidegger, a boozy beggar. 
So he gets into Heidegger, Carl Loeth, and Herbert Marcuse. Yeah. I think are the three he's focused. It's hard to tell where he's going because he doesn't even know what he's going to write next. But Heidegger, uh, Marcuse, and Loeth are the three he focuses on in this subsection. And his main argument seems to be, well, you know, uh, Herbert Marcuse was Jewish, but he came to America and then started supporting Nazism in America, even though he fled Nazism in Germany. Fascist. Yeah. Did I get that yeah, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the too-long-don't-read version of this nonsense. Um, yeah, so we, like, we start out with Heidegger, who is a philosopher and was also a Nazi. Um, you know, and, like, we can discuss whether those two things are connected. Um, but, like... <laughs> are you a Nazi, Aaron? Is that is right. that what you're trying to tell us? I mean, like, the level... Is this a secret? All philosophers are Nazis? I didn't well, know The level this. of analysis here is roughly at that level, right? Because we're getting the... We start off with the basic overall claims, which is, if not for Heidegger, we'd all be religious, right? Heidegger is the birth of atheism, apparently. And also deconstructivism. Yeah. Like, neither of these things existed prior to Heidegger, as far as this paper... <laughs> chapter seems to be suggesting, right? So no, no, I, I want to ask. I want to ask really quickly because you did have that uh, Freudian slip there. If you were grading this chapter as a yeah. paper, would it pass or fail? Oh God, it would be like a C minus. <laughs> and, and, and like, See, I would say because we don't fail people really on papers, single papers anymore. If they complete the paper, like a C minus is an F. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, but seriously though, uh, I don't know if you looked at the uh the back of the book where he has all of his citations right but there is throughout this whole book the entire time i have been horrified by the level of citation in this book right not where he needs it the ones he uses are horrible he cites breitbart at more multiple points throughout this book yeah i think that in itself would work would at least say you'd have to send him to the dean you'd have to send him to the dean i, I mean i'd put I'd, there's a major plagiarism i put issues. money on the fact that he's never read heidegger like, and oh, I'll, yeah. I'll be I'll be yeah. honest oh, yeah. with your audience. I've never read Heidegger. Like, <laughs> no one. I mean, like, unless you are studying philosophy on the continent, right, in Europe, or you are specifically studying Heidegger and people like Heidegger within philosophy, and then if you're doing that, you're in, like, one of five schools <laughs> in America, you have never read Heidegger either. Because Heidegger is not assigned in the major texts within Western philosophy departments, as far as I can tell, outside of that specific sub-period and discussing it. So, like, so you don't you don't need to burn Heidegger's books? You just don't assign them, we, huh? We just don't assign them. <laughs> we don't defend them either. Like... <laughs> this whole thing about how like we've all worked out elaborate defenses for Heidegger so that we can continue to argue for his theories like we don't we don't talk about Heidegger because we don't care like his book being in time his most famous book is considered one of the most important books of the you know 20th century philosophy up there with uh the critique of pure reason and things like that but like the ideas in it aren't especially unique there's no essential ideas that i know of that come from heidegger that you can't get from a variety of other sources that he was reading and other people have have done so like to say that he is the essential source of any of these ideas is absurd and then to say that any of these ideas are attached to nazism is just a stupid ad hominem like nothing in being in time is related to nazism so like his all his whole stuff about 
you know, n- you know, fascism and nationalism being a solution to alienation is a totally separate offshoot from his views that isn't necessary. And like, as far as I can tell, is not carried on by any of his followers. <laughs> right. right yeah. So can I ask you a quick oh. Jordan B. Peterson related question? Yeah, sure. Would you say that Heidegger is a more influential philosopher than Camus? Because according to Jordan P. Peterson, there has been no more influential philosopher since the age of Camus than he is. So, then I mean, like we read, you know, we read the myth of Sisyphus from Camus, and that's about it. Like I'll be honest with you, like Camus is in, you know, like I love the existentialist ideas, but you know, these are not what the things that most <laughs> modern analytic philosophers are reading. I'm sorry. Cool. We're just, I, I just want to see the problem that. is that you are not assigning Jordan B. Peterson. <laughs> no, books. I will. I mean, like, yeah, I have no reason to assign Jordan B. Peterson to anyone. Uh, <laughs> thankfully. Um, well, his big idea is clean your room, isn't it? That's like his big philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as I understand it. Anyway, let's get back to the book. We will do, we'll do uh, JBP next time. Yeah. Let's see what else we got. Um, we, so like, so the other thing to point out here is that like, this is, I'm sure y'all have pointed this out several times over the course of this book, but like calling the Nazis liberals is stupid. Like, yeah, sure. Yep, yep, yep. They had that, that has been the central ideas, thrust of this book. But like, they also had a variety of very conservative ideas and they were obsessed <laughs> with history and they were obsessed with preserving conservative ideals. They could tell you what conservatives were preserving, right? Maybe my, my students can't, <laughs> but the Nazis could tell you exactly what was being preserved by the pure Aryan race. So. The future of the white race is, I believe, what the uh, the answer to that is, right? That's the yeah. And then somehow Murray yeah. makes it into this chapter, right? Yeah, that's very uh, weird. Yeah, it? yeah. This is so the next. This is the next subsection. This is called Brown Shirt Tactics One Hundred and One. Okay, right. uh, and yeah, and so what he says here is he's he's giving another example of somebody being shut down at a college, right? And he brings up Charles Murray, who, if you don't know, wrote the book The Bell Curve. Or he was one of the two writers of the bell curve, which is basically uh, African Americans are stupid because of genetics. Right. That's well, a really the, chap- the chapter that anyone, over including you. Charles Murray, cares about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he also a uh, a colleague of Dinesh's at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, and I am happy to say I have taken a class on constitutional law from someone who is also a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute who called Dinesh D'Souza one of the dumbest people he'd ever met. That and that's coming right. from someone else who's at the American that Enterprise Institute. Right. I kind of wonder what the American Enterprise Institute pays to be silenced on a yearly basis. Like, do you, <laughs> do you get benefits for being silenced at the American Enterprise Institute? Like, because I would love yeah, maybe to get some health that, insurance yeah. for shutting the fuck up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> We should all apply. We should all apply. Uh, So, yeah, he brings up Charles Murray, who was apparently shut down uh, at an event at Middlebury College in Vermont where protesters gathered and wouldn't allow him to speak, which is just so sad. And let's say what we talked about, uh, no platforming, all that kind of stuff before. And my position has always been I would rather you let these idiots speak and you just have a larger crowd of protesters outside who are louder than they can speak inside. That'd be fantastic to me. Uh, because when we shut these people down, they use this as fuel. Yeah, and, like, I'm sympathetic because, like, there was some inappropriate behavior at that Murray event, and I think that that's wrong, and I I really do. But, like, here's how Herdinesh describes it, right? Murray is a libertarian who leans Republican, although he's no fan (laughs) of Donald Trump. I hate this fucking description, right? 
That's that's such a woolly description. Right. Yeah, you're hiding the the extremeness of Murray's position behind a smokescreen of it being moderate versus Trump. It's like, sure, he's anti-smallpox too, right? He's 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 pretty middle of the road <laughs> when you really think about it. Like, fuck you. He believes in essentialism. Like, he believes that yeah. like these IQ differences are roughly unchangeable. That like the environment has mostly been corrected for, and beyond that, there's not much you can do for these poor black people. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, Ludendorff was no fan of Hitler. Like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and, and the whole the whole thing that we get back to, because he's done, the, he's had, what, five examples now, four or five examples of people who've been shut down on college campuses. And the thing is, like, the point Dinesh is trying to make, I guess, is that Nazis are the only group who have ever interrupted speeches. So if you interrupt a speech, you're a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's really, it's really just the Nazi hot potato game. Yeah, it's very weird. Sorry, I almost interrupted you there, Aaron. My my Nazi was showing. No, no, it's fine. You should um I mean, you know, I'm not technically Jewish. The name is confusing. I understand my mother's not Jewish, so I I'd probably still end up oh, okay. in a camp, let's be honest, but like it wouldn't it wouldn't <laughs> well, be fair. Well, do you fair. have 3 out of 4 grandparents that are Jewish because mm. that's the that's the test apparently. No, I lose on that one. Um you, I, well, no, you're fine then. You you would have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean the I, Nazis did it, not we, employ the one drop of blood I mean, uh, thing I, I, that I, I, American I, 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 racists I, I, employed. So two Jewish grandparents, so I'm doomed on that front. But like, it's fine because we're not bringing Nazism back, no matter how much he thinks we are. Yeah. Well, you're just doomed to be bad at sports. But that's a whole. <laughs> yeah, thing. I'm okay with that. I do. I do martial arts and pretend that's a sport. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, let's talk right, about the origin of Antifa. Before I before I say any more uh, uh, anti-Semitic jokes, we're yeah, moving that's on. My job, son. So the next Don't be stealing my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why we bring Aaron on the show right. it's like you w- forgot when are we going to talk about Israel <laughs> is that soon <laughs> we bring you on so that I can say I have a Jewish friend that's why duh oh I, I, can, <laughs> I can be a token in the loosest sense of the term <laughs> so we move on to the next subsection which is called the deceitful origin of anti-fascism and this is where he gets into talking about Marcuse and how he came to the United States and set up the, uh, was it the Frankfurt Institute, or was part of the Frankfurt Institute yeah, here? Yeah, the Frankfurt That was school. setting up this... Can I, yes, can I yes. just point out that one of the first lines in this paragraph, in this chapter, in this subsection, sorry, is, so Marcuse and Adorno put their thinking caps on. Like, who the fuck writes like that, unless it's for children? <laughs> they put, I mean, let's be clear, they put their Nazi caps on, right? They got the cute little skull right in the middle, so you know they're the baddies. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for the children's version of this book to come up. It's going to have some really great illustrations. I really can't mm. wait. One foot, two foot, Frankfurt, blue foot. <laughs> Frankfurt School, by the way, for all of our crypto um, anti-Semites, is the double level above cultural Marxism for talking about coding for the Jews. Right, Jewish philosophers. I mean, yeah. the Frankfurt School, I guess, is the like the technical definition of cultural Marxism is this like school that had a particular interpretation of Marxism. Blah blah blah, something something economics. Um, but like, yeah, his whole argument here appears to be Heidegger had these students who were interested in Heidegger's discussion of alienation, and then fled the Nazis like the plague, <laughs> saw the horrors of anti-Semitism. <laughs> And then, like, started, you know, arguing for liberalism and, like, arguing against fascism and arguing in ways that 
uh, Dinesh thinks are unfair because they don't highlight how super gay certain parts of the Nazi elite were. <laughs> like, no, and that that's that's the best uh, uh, outline of this subsection I could give. And he talks in here about uh, a book by Marcuse, or I'm sorry, Adorno, called the F Scale. Uh, from the authority, it's a, a scale he came up with from a book called The Authoritarian Personality. And Dinesh goes through a few of the questions that were asked in that and wipes them right away and then says, the one question that would in fact have uncovered fascist affinities, do you support increasing the power of the centralized state over individuals, families, churches, and the private sector? I know he he yelled that when he wrote it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Adorno left off his F scale, presumably because it would have brought enthusiastic yes responses from progressives and Democrats. And I gotta say, like, does does Dinesh? Re- I've been arguing with myself this whole time. Does Dinesh believe that that's what we think? I don't know. I can't tell. Oh, I think totally yes. And I mean, like, he's not wrong, right? If you ask that in a normal tone, not in the creepy, shouty tone, like, <laughs> yes, we think that, like, the century, you know, like, since the birth of the Constitution over the Articles of Confederation, American liberals think that federalism is the solution. Like, we think that a strong yeah. central democracy is the solution. So, like, yes. No, but we we had an argument over this a few chapters ago, right? That the what we seek is not a strong central state for the purpose of having a strong central state. No. We seek a strong central state because it's the best way to accomplish the goals to get of ensuring yeah. it's the, it's the exactly. best way to avoid and not the allowing the individual slaves. states to be super racist Civil and rights. homophobic. Like. Or to avoid the whiskey rebellion. Like, we settled <laughs> this. We need taxes. It's okay to have a central government. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh god. Anyway, also, the next subsection. The, no, no, hold on. Just the other subject okay. is is like he has this Trumpian tactic of just being like, ah, yes, the leftist ideology of fascism, and just saying shit as if we're gonna forget it's not true. Yeah. He, anyway, oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. Marxism and fascism are quite close. They are kindred ideologies oh, we've a, of we've, the I don't know. You clearly haven't listened to our previous episodes because we've had a whole thing okay. about this. <laughs> so you've mentioned that the Marxists invaded Berlin. I guess, I guess we'll, so, we'll move on from <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, they, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't best friends. Okay, but we did have a few chapters ago uh, Dinesh's love affair with Mussolini. Yeah, he like idol worships Mussolini. It's really weird. <laughs> um, so, so do we want to talk about the sex part? Like, yeah, Okay, this do, is the best part. The this is... This is my favorite part of this entire chapter. This is a subsection called The Sex Pervert as Anti-Fascist. And of course, the Dinesh's choice to use Sex Pervert as the title <laughs> tells you most of what you need to know about this subsection. Yeah, we, we prefer sexually discerning, but, I think, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but so we get into this, and what Dinesh is arguing here is, well, you know, Marcuse and these other liberals who came from the Nazis and who Dinesh has already argued are fascists, uh, they were all about, you know, letting people open up and experience their sexuality. And he writes here, Marcuse blamed not merely the free market system for supposedly codifying and merchandising sex, turning it into a commodity, but he also blamed religious and social mores for repressing and enslaving the sex instincts, which that second sentence is 100% true. Uh, right? Can, we, and, uh, can any of us argue against that? Can Dinesh argue against that? Which part exactly? I'm sorry, I missed you on that one. That religious and social yeah. mores repress sex instincts. Yeah, to some extent, absolutely. They 
they change what is biologically compelled for the sake of what is culturally functional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I got really, really confused just, in this section. Can't. Like, yeah, I didn't really know what his point is, other than the fact that, uh, like, it's. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like sexual repression does famously cause, like, violent ideologies. Like, that's a that's a pretty known link, right? Like, well, and, he, like, and he's saying Marcuse, Marcuse said that, and as such, he's a pervert. Like, what? Well, Aaron, you had a really great show a few weeks ago where you, ta- I don't remember the name of your guest, but you were talking about the incel movement and all mm-hmm. that. And you got pretty deeply into this you know, repression of sexual urges leading to violence or leading to uh, the type of terrible behavior that, that we've seen over the last few weeks. Yeah, we talked about incels with Bethany and, and like, uh, you know, historically, evolutionarily, at, at least the current theories, right, are that um, things like monogamy um, reduce criminal activity and, and violent activity amongst men because they give those men something to uh, connect to and engage in where they otherwise might not have mates and therefore might not have sort of future prospects, basically. So there is this whole system connected with it. And like, I don't know that like the German, the German, like the, you know, if we're talking about Nazi Germany and sexuality, there's some really interesting stuff to talk about. Like I'm as an ethicist, I've always been obsessed with the Nazis and, and their weird views on a variety of things. And like, when I read about the Nazis, you know, they they weren't necessarily super ultra conservative about like one man, one woman, you know, do the thing. Like they certainly believed in the traditional family as a method for stability and, and social security. But like they were pretty much also, I think, on board with the idea of like fuck anybody you want as long as they're white properly. You know, like <laughs> yeah. have as many yeah. children like 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 the the um the the children oh what are they called um the Liebsborn the the children who were like a breeding program about producing Nazis like it was about taking properly geneticized you know SS officers and breeding them with women who would then produce these new Nazi children like they they were kind of somewhat liberal in their views on that front as long as you were doing it with the right people. Yeah, it was like a, a Plato-ish view of how to create the perfect society, right? It was, you know, all the, the Aryans fuck as many women as they want. Yeah, and it's just like... Sort of like, you know, like the Republic It's just stuff. so hard to far- parse this stuff with Dinesh, because, like, he's so clearly, like, cherry-picking a bunch of stuff. Like, at any point, I expected him to say, you know, and that's why it's not really true that the Nazis murdered a bunch of gay people in the, during the course of the Holocaust, <laughs> because, like, yeah. some of the, you know, SS leaders who were killed, you know... No, not even the SS, the SA. Some of the... Right, bra- like, right. we ki- they killed them off well before... Right, right. The people who were killed off during the Night of Long Knives, some of them were gay. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, like... <laughs> so no. everything's fine. No, no. There's been so many points in this book where I expect the next sentence to be Holocaust yeah. denial. It really has been. It's been great. But so in this in this subsection here, what we get at is Dinesh is claiming that anything that is uh, sexually free or he, he being bohemian in Dinesh's words. Oh, can I just sort of can that- I just point out being a painter does not make you bohemian and free loving? <laughs> it's like well, Hitler was a painter and and Mussolini wrote a play once. So. <laughs> So any of these sorts of things, right, any artistic expression or open sexuality, things like that, 
makes you fascist, according to Dinesh. Yeah. But also, right? and I'm, I'm so confused. The- <laughs> I'm so confused in this subsection because it seems like Dinesh is saying the Nazis were all about open sexuality and artistic expression. So we should not be that way. Is he saying that you should hate gays and art because it's fascist? Isn't wouldn't that be the weirdest pride parade ever? I don't. Like I don't know if he's saying that like the liberals learned it from them. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I think he is because he writes a lot about Marcuse coming to the United States and promoting these ideas, right? And writing about open sexuality and things like that. I think that's what Dinesh yeah, is saying. I mean, like it's you're right. It's so hard to figure this part I can, out. I can jump back in where he starts to talk about the paradox of tolerance, but everything up until that point is just like gobbledygook about <laughs> well you know gay essays getting caught in bed with ss members or some shit like yeah let, let's, well, okay, so I'll, I'll read the closing bit of the subsection he says this he was talking about the gays getting arrested at the end and everyone being kind of okay with it and he says this was the nazi atmosphere in the, these days and it far more closely res- resembles that of the village voice or the democratic national convention than it does the <laughs> national review or the trump white house which, so he is saying we should hate the gays yeah yeah. Anyway, that's what yeah, he's saying. You know, right. but you, you, like you should hate them, but not because the Nazis. But like the Nazis didn't really. Yeah. Like I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know. Gays, Nazis. <laughs> Let's do repressive intolerance. <laughs> Let's do repressive intolerance. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the next subsection is called repressive intolerance, as Benedict mentioned, and this one uh, is he goes more into Marcuse, like I was talking about. This is where he starts writing about uh, how Marcuse exported all these fascist ideas from Nazi Germany to the United States. Yep. Yeah, he wants to saddle Marcuse, as far as I can tell, with the paradox of tolerance, which, for your listeners, is the idea that a society, a liberal society, might have to be intolerant of certain views, specifically views that are themselves extremely intolerant, views whose goals and means involve cutting off the freedom of other individuals. Yes, and I wanted to highlight two quotes in particular from this subsection, because you'll see when I get to it. What, what Dinesh writes is, quote, What specifically did Marcuse seek to repress? He cited the withdrawal of toleration of speech and assembly from groups and movements which promote aggressive policies, armament, chauvinism, discrimination on the grounds of race and religion, or which oppose the extension of public services, Social Security, Medicare, etc., which, other than that last part, which I think you can have valid public policy disagreements and discussions about, uh, there's I don't think even Dinesh, uh, when he's fully livid and fully understanding what he's saying, would say that it's fine to promote aggressive policies, chauvinism, discrimination, etc. But the next thing Dinesh writes on the next page is, Marcuse's targets are not Nazis, but rather patriots. <laughs> Republicans and conservatives. So he, Dinesh is, is accepting that it's his side, which is chauvinistic and discriminatory and militaristic. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And what's interesting here is for the first half of this chapter, he talks about Marcuse and this problem and never mentions that Karl Popper is the name most commonly associated with the paradox of tolerance. If you were to Google paradox of tolerance right now the first thing you'd get would be a bunch of information about how Karl Popper one of the most famous philosophers of science in the modern age 
is the person who really sort of most fully, you know, unpacked this idea and made this kind of argument, okay? The reason he doesn't mention that is because apparently, it turns out later in this chapter, he's going to act all befuddled about how George Soros is quoting Charles Popper, <laughs> Karl Popper, with, <coughs> without actually understanding why there's a relation. So, like, either Dinesh D'Souza doesn't know that Karl Popper is one of the central tenants, central, central, um, supporters of the paradox of tolerance problem or he knows that and he's deliberately hiding it for the sake of completing the end of the stupid stupid chapter uh i'll take yeah. b for 500 Alex. it doesn't b. matter like it doesn't matter which one he believes but i just want to point out for your audience members that like the paradox of tolerance is a well-known problem that liberalism faces in the modern world it's the same problem that we deal with when dealing with freedom of religion and, like, how to deal with extremist cults within our own society. Like, this is a real problem, but, like, accusing it of, you know, like, being a crypto-fascist thing is stupid. It's fucking stupid because Karl Popper is not a fascist. <laughs> my okay. my only right, word have... for this bit was, should we be tolerant of intolerance, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Which I think some yeah. okay. something something <laughs> yeah, dem- that's, that's Democrats about- and Bill Clinton and like a bunch of two quotes <laughs> like it's just it's just like oh, appeal yeah. to hypocrisies everywhere. Oh yeah, Bill Clinton's a predator and Jeffrey Epstein and Dinesh has to regret this now yeah. because these same arguments apply to so many people who've been outed by Me Too since this book was fucking published on his fucking yeah. side. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So we move into. The next subsection, which is, this is where we dip into just straight up conspiracy theory bullshit. This subsection is called George Soros's Venture Thuggery. And let's say, George Soros, from my perspective, right, was very irresponsible in the way he handled his investments during the Asian financial crisis in 1997 and deepened that tragedy. That's as far as I'll get in criticizing George Soros. I don't give a shit about the rest. But, this is... That's way more advanced than my notes. I know, I just went... My notes are like... I went fucking deep cut. Nobody knows about this yeah. shit. My, my <laughs> notes are like, uh, doesn't Dinesh work at a think tank? Like, yeah. come the fuck yeah. on already. <laughs> <laughs> so like he has funded section- activism and disruptive violence. And my favorite bit of this chapter was when he says, he's talking about paid prost- protesters. And he says, one ad I saw on Craigslist. Yes! <laughs> Protesters are promised $15 an hour to cause trouble. Like, what? Mm. What? His citation is an ad I saw on Craigslist. Yeah, there's that's not, there's not the even best. a footnote with a web address. It's just. <laughs> I could do a whole separate episode about ads I see on Craigslist, but I feel like that's. <laughs> we need to start a new, pe- a new podcast. Only about ads we can see on what that is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. This, this subsection is diarrhea of George Soros' conspiracy theory on a page. That's yeah. what it is. He start, you know, Soros funds 200 leftist groups, moveon.org, blah, blah, blah. This group, he brings up one that did stick out to me, which is called the Revolutionary Love Project, which Dinesh claims sends activists to town hall meetings with scripts for how to humiliate Republican congressmen and senators. It's not difficult. Quote, the whole life... 
The whole idea is to create an artificial impression, then hyped in the media, that there is a groundswell of public opposition to Trump and the GOP. Okay, I looked up this group, the Revolutionary Love Project. It's a bunch of fucking hippies who just say love each other. That's what this fucking group is. I don't know where he gets this conspiracy, this particular conspiracy theory. I have no idea. Wait, we can get paid for yeah. that? Because I do that. Yeah, yeah. No, what? we've been asking for that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my other favorite all bit is where cash. he criticizes David Brock. Oh. And he's like, oh, well, mm. David Brock uh, is fine, and we all liked him very much. And, and <coughs> But he says Reagan conservatives disapproved of his homosexuality. And I'm quoting now. Actually, Brock's homosexuality was well known among us young Reaganites, and we didn't have a problem with it as long as Brock maintained public discretion. So you did have a problem with it. <laughs> Yes, that's as long as he was publicly like, ashamed of his life. Yeah, as long as he was publicly <laughs> straight, he could be gay all he wanted to be. Like what? It's a fucking close but no potato <sighs> moment. I'm so really done. Is. I'm done with this chapter. Let's let's do the last it, bit. It worked for Roy, right. Roy Cohen, the, right? Right. That's <laughs> true. Angels in America. No, I just saw Angels uh, in America. I just saw it. I just yeah, saw it. Better than just show. saw it. Yeah. <laughs> so the last subsection, the last subsection here is called Hitler's Collection Boy. Potentially the most evil is, portion of this uh, chapter. Um, yeah. Evil oh, yeah. I don't remember which of these sections this occurred in, but I just want to, because this was my job, right? I was clearly the Jew philosopher who was called in for this. Direct <laughs> quote. I have scoured Popper's works. This is Karl Popper, the person I was referring to earlier as the not Nazi. I have scoured Popper's work to discover that Soros might see in it and have come up empty-handed. I am forced to conclude that this Popper business is, for Soros, a complete front, followed by lots of laughter, and then Dinesh D'Souza sucks at philosophy. <laughs> yeah. It's and just, Google. It's just, I, I never, I do not believe, I do not believe he scoured yeah. Popper's no, I'm going to be honest he with you. He went to the fucking Wikipedia I'm a, page. I'm a paid philosopher, and I haven't scoured Popper's works. Let's be fucking honest here. <laughs> Popper's works are substantial. <laughs> Basically, this last section, though, is him accusing George Soros of not being sad enough about having survived the Holocaust. Oh my god, right? Like, why don't you have enough yeah. survivor con like guilt? Like... Feel yeah. worse about the fact that you survived the Holocaust, you Jew. Hence, hence, <laughs> <laughs> hence my empty chairs at empty tables alternative title. Tying it yeah, back to the yeah. start of the show. Yeah, man. So a, a page and a half of this subsection is the transcript of a George Soros interview on 60 Minutes in 1998, which is George Soros being questioned 20 about... 20 years ago, also. Yeah. Being questioned about how he survived the Holocaust and being asked, well, do you feel bad about that? And he's, Soros says, well, you know, I was a 14 years old and blah, blah, blah. And no, I just, I was trying to survive and I wasn't really paying attention. And then Dinesh plays the melodramatic card that he always does. And he says, what interests me here is not what young Soros did. I'm going to attach much weight to the conduct of a, I'm not going to attach much weight to the conduct of a 14 year old, but rather how the mature Soros retroactively interprets his previous actions as collection boy for Hitler. Mm. I just, mm. The collection boy mm. for Hitler thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? that's bad. <laughs> I mean, that's what, if you don't know what happened like to George Soros, if you don't know what happened with George Soros, his parents got him fake papers that said he was a Christian and sent him to live with another family. And uh, I believe the, the father he was living with, who wasn't his father, was being forced to collect 
uh, belongings of Jews who were taken away to the Holocaust, and Soros went along with him door to door. Also, there's a bit n- very near the end where he's like, and you won't believe this, George Soros says 1944, the year when most Jews <laughs> died, was the happiest year of his life. I mean, that was also the, d- the year he escaped from Nazi Germany, but you know, that probably doesn't correlate, it's probably the other thing. Yeah. yeah. The year my wife <laughs> didn't die is also the happiest year of my life, too. <laughs> Congratulations, you oh. asshole! <laughs> uh, so we're gonna wrap up this chapter. I will read the I will read the last paragraph as I usually do. The last paragraph reads: We see how this trio of Heidegger, Marcuse, and Soros put its talents and resources behind thuggish leftist causes. Heidegger openly backed the Nazis. Marcuse and Soros promote Nazi tactics on behalf of a purportedly anti-fascist left. Together, this horrid trio played a big role in the destruction of our universities, the shameless leftist propaganda of the media, and the brown shirt tactics of progressives today. And scene. (laughs) I help improve the quality of lives every day with students at universities, and this person can eat my nuts. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) How how dare you take a Holocaust survivor and, like, demonize them because they have rationalized to themselves the behavior that they had to engage in to survive this horrifying fucking behavior. Go fuck yourself. I have so many go fuck yourselves for Dinesh D'Souza after reading this fucking (laughs) chapter. It's okay to curse on your show, right? Like, I'm gonna... Yeah, 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 you're good. (laughs) I feel like you would have stopped me before at this point. (laughs) And so, the next chapter is the last chapter in this book, chapter 9. It is called Denazification, and... Uh, I am so excited for this chapter because it's basically a four-point plan, uh, which consists of completely overturning the Obama legacy, packing the courts with Republicans. He he makes a distinction, not just conservatives, Republicans. And one of the best parts <laughs> of his plan, politically motivated prosecution of people on the left. I love it! It's so beautiful. Denazification. It's so beautiful. Denazification. Yes. You know, cool. the yes. Nazis were a big fan of gender essentialism. I know a Jordan B. Peterson <laughs> that you could write a book about, you <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so, Aaron, thank you for coming and joining us to help us make it through this fucking shithole of a chapter. We owe you. We owe you every. We should just constantly yeah. be giving you blowjobs. That is what That's we owe you lot. for joining Ooh. us. For this. <laughs> I mean, I'm on board because uh, I'm a Nazi and like I like. You're not, you're not on the East Coast, Kevin. You're making promises you can't keep. I'm gonna have to follow through on that. <laughs> but I know where you are, Benedict. <laughs> blowjobs are better with a British accent. We all know that. <laughs> So, Aaron, uh, before we go, why don't you tell all of our listeners uh, who don't know yet where they I can hear I feel like we've already lost you. most of our listeners to Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> For the real deep, deep, serious perverts who are still listening to this show, you can check me out at Embrace the Void, which is a podcast you can find on all the various things and at, at ETV dot pod, uh, ETV pod on Twitter. And you can also check me out at Philosophers in Space with Thomas Smith, where we talk about a bunch of things that are slightly less dark than everything that we've been covering for the past hour. I like to mix it up, you know, a little dark, little light, little yin, little yang, you know, like you do. I'm findable. It's ying. It's ying and yeah. yang. I learned that from, from so, Silicon Pronunciation Valley. is something that I gave up on a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> And 
And welcome back to the final segment where we are finishing up Dinesh D'Souza's book with chapter 9 entitled Denazification. Yep. And my alternative my title... alternative title is Get Rid of the Nazis by Becoming Nazis. <laughs> I had Fighting Fascism with Fascism. Cool. So, Good. <laughs> we start off uh, with, of course, the quote he always gives us at the beginning of the chapter. And uh, this is by Winston Churchill, so I'm going to try and do my best. Churchill here... <clears throat> This is not the end. Oh, I did. No, no, no that's, that's Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. That's Sean yeah. Connery. You know what? I'm <laughs> going to read Winston Churchill as Sean Connery. This no. is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. I might try it. Ready? Okay. This is not the end. It is not even <laughs> the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's very good. good. <laughs> So starting off here, he gives us an overview of things that everyone knows, like he has repeatedly done throughout this book, uh, talking uh-huh. about the end of the war, how Hitler... <laughs> the war ended a- in 1945. Did you know that? Because I didn't know that before I started writing this book. That's interesting. I didn't know. Uh, and he, is, he just goes through Ava Braun and Hitler killing themselves, and what Mussolini... What is the point of this first page and a half? We'd just be like, oh yeah, Hitler died in the end. Did you know that? And Mussolini too. Shit, they killed Mussolini? Fuck. What?! Man, and he's not nearly as upset about Mussolini being killed as I thought he would be, giving his, no, his love affair for uh, Mussolini. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the first thing I want to point out in this chapter is he paraphrases Sinclair Lewis, but he's not paraphrasing. That's not a paraphrase. Changing no. Sinclair Lewis's words is not a paraphrase. Because <laughs> using, the title of Sinclair Lewis... the words, <laughs> yeah, it could happen here, right? Is yes. What, and it, the title of yeah, Sinclair he, Lewis's famous book is It Could Happen Here. And Dinesh says, to paraphrase Sinclair Lewis's book, it is happening here. No, <laughs> that's not a paraphrase. Lewis said. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. And so we start. A paraphrase off be- would be it might happen here. Yeah, it's not a direct quote, but contains the same the same exactly theme. exactly. Uh, so we start off in this chapter, and Dinesh. Well, is hold on. His argument- the quote immediately after that is through the relentless pounding of Trump from all quarters. The left is basically attempting a fascist coup. <laughs> Because that's obviously what that means. By a fascist coup, I mean the exertion of power by the unelected arms of the left, mainly the media left, to overturn the outcome and the mandate of a free election. I think you'll find that's what the Tea Party did to Obama, but cool. (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, he starts off in the beginning of this chapter by talking about his, the same thing he said this entire time. The left is fascist, they're trying to take over, blah, 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 anti-fascist, blah, 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 blah. We've been over it a thousand times. If you missed it, Go back and listen to all the other chapters, but... Yeah, the, uh, the just... start of this chapter is very much a summation of what he said so far, largely. Yes. There was just um, one thing that I wanted to point out here, which is where he says, quote, Historians agree that had the Italians and Germans responded differently, they could have prevented Mussolini and Hitler from coming to power. Uh-huh. I guarantee you there is no consensus among actual yeah. historians. Some historians <laughs> probably happened. do think that. There's probably a few said, yeah, I mean, if you would have shot Hitler in the head in 1930, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have come yeah, to power. Yeah, if Hitler had died during World War One, he probably wouldn't have come to power. Yeah, right. That's, you know. Uh, anyway, the first subsection. We're going to get right to the first subsection, well, which is called... I, I mean, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. On. Did you have something? No, no, no. I, I just, just that like, he's acting as if Hitler wasn't democratically elected always. Yeah. 
I know. Which is I know. like, oh, they're trying to undermine the the. So if they, but surely, like, if they had stopped Hitler's rise, that would have been undermining well, the democratic the thing, will of the people. Is like, there were definitely there were definitely forces opposed to Hitler when he took power in the well, Reichstag. Yeah. Were they were they undermining were, the democratic will of the yeah. people? Yeah. Were they like, trying to attempt a fascist takeover against Hitler? Yeah, Jesus exactly. Christ! So there's no logical like argument or. There has there ever been in this book though? Have no, we ever gotten no, a really logical that's argument? That's true. That's true. Because he's going to destroy it's... part of his own argument in about three pages. In about yeah. three pages, I'll go over it. He's going to destroy part of his own. So argument. he said, "One second. He says precisely. So he's talking about uh, people didn't want to take the fascist doctrine seriously." And he says precisely the same complacency and pusillanimity. Ooh, that's a three dollar. He had to pay five dollars. Yeah, five dollars. <laughs> pusillanimity characterized the political establishment in Germany. Hindenburg, the Reichstag, and the rival political ta- parties all tried to accommodate Hitler, not recognizing that he wasn't playing by the same rules they were. Who else could we say isn't playing by the same rules of the current <laughs> political establishment? I want to. Well, is it the Democrats? Is that who's this is? This that? is Dinesh's game. Go? This is Dinesh's game. Picking something that someone did and making a comparison to people Dinesh doesn't you, like today. Yeah, you could also literally like find and replace the Democrats in this in this book with like Trump, and it would be a much more accurate book. <laughs> That's very true. Anyways, the first subsection we're getting to here is called "Through Both Sides of Their Mouth," what and in here mean? he's going to complain about the Republican Party mainly, uh, and he says first off. Admittedly, today's left-wing fascism differs in one important respect from Hitler and Mussolini's left-wing fascism. Still, still saying left-wing before fascism. I know, because, I know. Because everybody knows that fascism is a right-wing thing. So you have to be <laughs> like, he has to say left-wing fascism to remind everyone that's reading of his shitty arguments. Yeah, and his argument here is, the difference is, the old fascists called themselves fascists. Uh-huh. Right, which we've we've heard this so many times throughout this book. They called themselves anti-fascists, but they're really fascists. Blah, blah, and then he blah, says, so. he says, "quote Our fascist left, by contrast, purports to be anti-fascist." I know it's crazy. <laughs> like, no, we're not along for the ride with you here, Dinesh. That is not that. No, no. Dinesh. Well, I want to point out the the immediately following that, where he says the very people who champion the centralized state, which we've been over, is not what we champion. Uh, have a long history of racism. Uh, the modern Democrats largely don't, given that they're young. I don't think there's a lot of 20-year-olds out there uh, who took part in the civil rights suppression of African Americans. The uh, Democratic Party, to be fair, does have a long history. Yes, of yes, but we've That's talked true. about this before. We have admitted we, that, though. We've talked it, about this before, and, where the Democrat yeah. Party is not an entity who can take... <laughs> can't take responsibility for its actions, right? It's yeah. a political group whose membership changes over time, uh-huh. right? And we did talk about earlier how in 2009, the, the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives apologized for slavery. They issued, yeah. they voted yeah, on a true. bill that issued an apology for slavery, which Dinesh claims we've never done, never apologized for slavery. I just, it's so stupid. Um... So, you know, uh, we go on here, and of course he's complaining about centralized government, centralized government, centralized government, because that's Dinesh's only argument, right? When mm-hmm. we drill down to the core of this, of everything he's written about in this entire book, the, his core argument is big government equals fascism, right? If you boil it down to the very most simplistic aspects we can get to, right? Yeah, big government I mean, that's, equals that's fascism. his argument. That is his argument, yeah. We, I mean, we've okay. talked about why that's not the case, but you're definitely right that that is his argument. And I just love this where he says, uh, talking about 
uh, uh, t- you know, calling the right fascist and making uh-huh. his his belief that it's a big lie to claim fascism mm-hmm. is a right wing thing. He says this is the superficial part of the lie, and I disposed of it in a single chapter. No, I you just didn't love finish. that fucking no. hubris. No, it's no, so no. dripping. He says, sorry, let's, let's catch this process at work. So this is how the left tricks us. He says, here's how the left lies about the Nazis in order to create a false contrast between the Nazis and them. The left says the Nazis were... Ca- That's weird way of writing that. Sorry. The left says the Nazis were capitalists while the left is anti-capitalist. The Nazis were Christians while the left is secular. The Nazis were anti-abortion while the left supports the right to abortion. The Nazis were repressed and sexually conventional while leftists are sexually liberated bohemians. In fact, on every one of those points, the views of the left and the National Socialists are essentially the same. Anti-capitalist, <laughs> no. Anti-Christian, got mit uns, in belief and in sexual <laughs> ethics. And opposed to a right to life. There's, there's a difference between ending the rights, the lives of people that you don't think deserve to live and being and an abortion yeah 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 no i get it yeah i get it killing the jews is not the same as an abortion i know and look he he dinesh has this problem where he says quote it remains the party of racial identity politics to this day talking about the democratic party and what he's trying to infer there is that the democratic party is still racist because of racial identity politics. And yeah, there are problems. Well, with they are racist towards politics. white people, Kevin. Yeah, exactly. But what they always ignore is that the use of identity politics by the left is to empower minority groups. That is yeah. the purpose of identity politics. And or at least, is... yeah, make their voices heard. Yes, yes, they don't fucking get this. And I just, this, this is the best. He writes... While the Republicans were founded as an anti-slavery party, continue to favor a colorblind society, bullshit, and are tolerant in a polite, respectful, old-fashioned American way that politically correct speech-banning progressives cannot stand. Cool. Very cool. Because that's that's what we're upset about is how polite and respectful Republicans are. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's the big deal for us. Uh, so in here, he he starts getting into Trump again. Uh, and talking about how Trump is so different and how uh-huh. Dinesh loves Trump for it. And he says, Trump also puts his multitasking skills to work in swatting Meryl Streep Saturday Night Live and the cast of the Broadway play Hamilton. Not to the, mention, you the, know, the issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to mention the failing New York Times and low rating CNN, which uh, we all know New York Times. Both in quotes because they're not true. But this is glorifying troll quotes, Yeah. This yeah, is glorifying yeah, exactly. troll behavior, and he will say again in this chapter that that's basically his aim, is to be trolls. That all they care about is pissing off the left. Also, that, it's really funny. Right now, Trump, whatever his failings, is the most fearless man in the country. I feel like that is disrespecting <laughs> the troops, Dinesh D'Souza. What do yes. you have to say about that? Uh, moving on in this subsection, we get to uh, him talking about the left and how the left are, are so angry at Trump. And he says, the left has now digested this, having first derided and ridiculed him. They are now mortally afraid of him, and much of their rat-like cunning is devoted to figuring out a wow. way to destroy him. Now, do you recall that any other group in history? shit. Do you recall Holy any other shit, group in history? rat-like cunning. Do you recall any other group in history that compared an entire group of people to rats? That is an anti-Semitic uh, dog whistle. That... Liney Reifenstahl would look at that and go, you know, maybe we don't just <laughs> say that right Maybe it's a little right too obvious. Open. Maybe yeah. it's a little too obvious. 
<laughs> so he starts getting into ha- that. He, this chapter again is about denazifying. Even so, even Goebbels is like, whoa. <laughs> so he starts to say, "How are we going to fix this problem?" And he says that to do so, Trump needs his allies, the Trumpsters, uh, who he, he, he describes as fiercely committed to their man. Oh but, shit! But they're like not a enough. Good woman. It's not enough just to have the Trumpsters. We need a unified conservative movement and unified GOP. The bad news, though, is that much of the conservative intelligentsia, contradiction in terms, and the GOP establishment remains in la-la land. And this is where he starts complaining about those, uh, what you probably hear on Twitter, are called rhinos. I like rhinos. They're fun. Yeah, rhinos are fun. I went to the They're National Zoo species. when I was in D.C. It was very yeah, cool. I saw, I saw pandas. Pandas. Come on. I got to say, I saw, great. I got to tweet someone or message someone, I saw pandas today and it wasn't even vaguely racist because it was true, right? <laughs> so um, racist. So the next subsection we're getting into, this is where he actually starts to outline what he wants to do to denazify us. This is called an anti-fascist agenda. And he starts off with the question, of course, what would an anti-fascist agenda look like? And he gives us a number of points. So, but before we get to those, uh, I do have to point out where he talks in here again about his idea of fascism being about the the all-powerful state. And he gives a Mussolini quote where he says, the foundation of fascism is the conception of the state. Fascism conceives the state as an absolute in comparison to which all individuals or groups are relative only to be conceived of in their relation to the state. And I just the amount of time that Dinesh and his people spend knocking on multiculturalism, I would mm. think that they would understand at this point that the idea of multiculturalism is having all these distinct and separate groups who we look at in different yeah. ways. I, yeah. I just... It's so stupid. You're not it's just so a cog stupid. in the machine, exactly. Yeah, but anyway, anyway. the first, the first order in uh, this denazification program is quote to get rid of the Obama legacy. We talked about that early in the, earlier in this episode today. Where well, we're talking I mean, about this why is, do they he, want to get rid of is, Obamacare? So, so part of what you've skipped a little bit. So he says the the anti-fascist project, therefore, is to dismantle the Leviathan state, which mm-hmm. is what he claims we have despite america actually not having that big a a state compared to other countries so he then says the first step of course is to get rid of the obama legacy so overturning obamacare being the first of those and actually it's interesting because i'm not sure why he's done this but he's literally just talked about like a lot of the things that trump has said he would do anyway so yeah. like he said, this is my platform, despite it largely being Trump's platform already. And then he'll be like, <laughs> in two years, he'll be like, see, Trump, listen to me. That I, that's the yes. only way that I can like see why he's done this. So no, I agree. Said, I agree. Obamacare, Dodd-Frank, which has been repealed, mm-hmm. uh, tightening eligibility requirements so that food stamps only go to the small population of people who are truly needed. What does that mean? Obama deliberately swelled oh, the ranks it's... of people who receive food yeah. stamps in order to make more Americans dependent on the government. You're not or- or on the to stop people from being hungry maybe that's yeah, maybe that's to stop why. people dying that's like a good uh, you know oh but you know dinesh um, creamed his fucking pants when dodd frank was repealed right yeah and the but, fucking I mean, what, because what is good about that what is good about dodd frank being repealed dinesh doesn't he wants zero regulation that's his entire goal zero regulation regulation's right. bad even though we so, see that they're there to stop bad <laughs> things from happening Trump and the Republicans, however, should go beyond repealing what Obama did. They should pass comprehensive tax reform. That's again. There we get it. Tax reform. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, and privatize yeah, government are... functions as much as possible and yeah, sell and off the large tracts of land the government currently holds for quote, tracts no apparent reason. Yeah. Oh, so that's, again, something that's happening with Barriers National Park. This is a very Roosevelt thing. I mean, I don't know why Roosevelt, Roosevelt would not be happy with him. Teddy Roosevelt would not be happy mm-hmm. with Dinesh right now. Uh, also returning power to the regional governments. Lots of Hayek quotes in here. Uh, states' rights. Return on states' oh, rights. You know, yeah, yeah, I can't pass about. over this. I can't pass over this because in this subsection, he writes about uh, his, again, claiming that the left is strengthening the authority of the federal government at the expense of the states. He says that the reason Democrats and the left have done this is in the name of eliminating the, quote, alleged racism that is implied in the concept of states' rights. And he admits right here, quote, states' rights, after all, was the rallying cry of secession and later segregation and state-sponsored discrimination. If Dinesh didn't want state rights to be a thing, right, he would completely use that argument as proof that the Democrats are fascists. Yeah, right. Yeah, he would yeah, absolutely yeah. say that the whole states' rights thing being right. The reason they want states' rights is because they're fascist and they yeah. want to be racist. He would absolutely exactly. take the opposite. No, position yeah, 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 if yeah, State rights definitely. weren't what he wanted, and, and he then, writes so also then, that that the reason for this states' rights, and he again quotes Hayek with the framework of competing utopias. Uh, and says that, quote, if you didn't like the way things were run in your state, you could always move to another state. Yeah, leaving as if out, everyone if is you economically, if that's economically viable for everyone. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, and this is the best. This is the best. He says, in short, the founders wanted, quote, true diversity. So to Dinesh, diversity is in different states having different policies. Which isn't what fucking diversity is. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's a very strange. Yeah, I I don't really. I know. He says, and and I he know. closes this with the problem is with the ideology of the Democratic Party and the remedy for preventing future democratic atrocities is to never under any circumstances vote for a Democrat. So that's not partisan at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I, I thought I thought we were for ideas on the on the right and and diversity of ideas mm-hmm. as long as mm-hmm. they're not democratic ideas. Yep. So we get to the part where I say he destroys a large part of his argument, where he says, Mm -hmm. yes, states' rights were invoked to defend slavery and segregation, but let's remember who did that, the Democratic Party. So the Democrats today profess to stand against states' rights in order to prevent the atrocities that they committed. And just, if you look back at everything Dinesh has written, his chains of logic, where he will pick out an idea, right, where if uh, the fascists over in Italy wanted bigger government— and according to Dinesh, those in America want bigger government than those in America were also fascist because that's something that fascists did. Mm-hmm. So if the Democrats wanted states' rights so that they could be segregation, I see where this. you're going with this. And now and Republicans want states' rights. Yeah. Are Republicans yeah. Democrats? It's yeah. fucking stupid. It's, yeah, it is stupid. It's logical fallacies coming out the ass. That's it. No, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, cool. Well, that's it. We don't have to do this anymore then. Okay, we're done. We're done. No. Yeah. All right. We'll finish. We'll f- built to last. Let's, don't let's get me excited. This subsection Sorry. is built to last. So now he starts really outlining actual things to do uh, besides mm-hmm. the everything he wants to repeal that Obama did. So he starts off here by saying one way they are sustained, uh, and that being... Uh, uh, the, the things that the GOP will do, according to Dinesh's plan. 
One way they are sustained is by making sure we have a Supreme Court made up of people on our team. Cool. During the Gorsuch hearings, Republicans kept stressing that Gorsuch is a good constitutionalist. I'm good with that, but the question I wanted to have answered was a different one. Is Gorsuch a good Republican? Yeah. So, we are nakedly admitting that Dinesh D'Souza does not care about actual legal principles. He wants partisan partisan fucking stooges on the Supreme Court. Yeah, he he really does. And he says says that that is because... uh, you can count with Euclidean certainty on the the four Democrat votes going the way of democratic politics, which clearly isn't true in that, you know, we just got a 7-2 vote in the case of the the, the Masterpiece Bakery case. So, well, I mean, that's mo- clearly not true. A lot of people don't realize this. Most decisions of the Supreme Court are unanimous, right? Yeah. Maybe there's one dissent, you know, unani- between unanimous and uh, uh, eight to one is the most common rule. And Gorsuch dissenting. I know. And so, but he justifies this by saying that basically we know that the other side, those evil Democrats, they're just going to vote Democrat. They don't care about the actual law. So we need to fight back by doing the same thing. We need, we need to, to also people, not care about the actual yes, law. Yes. We need to put people on the court who will not care about the law, but are just going to vote in favor of Republicans 100% of the time. And he says, quote, Sure, we can engage in all the highfalutin discourse we want about theories of constitutional interpretation, but in the end, it comes down to a simple question of whether our laws are going to be upheld and theirs struck down, or whether their laws are going to be upheld and ours struck down. Better, I say, that ours be upheld and theirs struck down. So blind partisanship, or naked partisanship, rather, is what he wants on the Supreme Court. So next part that I wanted to highlight in this subsection is another place where he contradicts one of his own arguments. And he says, uh-huh. Durable changes only occurs in American politics when the same party controls the presidency, Congress, and the courts. By the way, there is nothing fascist about this. We are talking about political majorities created through elections and popular consent. And like Hitler. Recall, Such as, a few as chapters Hitler. ago, yes. he knocked FDR, called FDR a fascist, for because having a large majority. For having majorities yeah. in both houses and the presidency. But also, also, it can be fascist. Like, fascism can be democratically elected. That's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, in, in the first place, like, you can be democratically elected and then become fascist. That's how dictatorships tend to work. No, absolutely. But I just wanted to point out the, the clear contradictions there because we get so much of this all the time. Um, the, but the, the last part of this subsection is funny to me. Because Dinesh argues now that Donald Trump needs to expand and consolidate his support among his base. And he writes that he needs to do so among the working class and explicitly says, not just the white working class. Because Donald Trump needs to, someone needs to tell Donald Trump that. Yeah. Uh, and he also says, second, Trump and the GOP should go all out to win the votes of the minorities, which I just wrote in the margins too late. Love. It's too fucking yeah. late. You're so fucking, when you're stripping children away from immigrants and you called fascists 
literal fascists marching in the street of Charlottesville, good people, you're a little too far. You're a little too far gone. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. As the party of the aspiring middle class, there's no reason the GOP should not get 20% of the black vote, 50% <laughs> of the Hispanic vote, and the vast majority of the Asian American vote. That's really confusing to me. Does he think only 20% of the black people want to be middle class? Like, I guess so. Like, I, I, uh, that, that, this seems like you're segmenting people in order of the, the, the value you have for them, Dinesh. That's well, good. so you know how Dinesh uh, has this thing for the welfare queens, and he makes uh-huh. this argument that all these people they just want to sit on welfare, they just want to sit on their asses and not work and not contribute to American society. That's mm-hmm. part of Dinesh's argument, right? And I think that's where this comes from this idea that the GOP will only get 20% of the black vote because I think that Dinesh believes that 80% of black people don't want to work and just want to be on welfare. I mean, maybe. I, I, I don't yeah. know that that's the case, yeah. but it definitely seems like he's ranking minorities in the Is order he ranking he the races? Them. Yeah. Is he ranking? Seem, I mean, it seems like that's what's happening. Ooh! Can we rank the races? No. Uh, anyways. <laughs> White people, zero. <laughs> Beyond uh, that, no. But in order to do this, to get those minority votes, he says Republicans already have many of the right policies and emphasis on jobs and economic growth, which I will remind you uh, are always things that suffer under Republicans unless they're riding a wave that happened from Democrats. Um, But what has been lacking, this is a quote, but what has been lacking is having conservative community organizers. And I just think, well... Republicans don't care about the community. That's why you don't have conservative community organizers. Yeah, exactly. Because when when Stefan Clark gets shot in Sacramento, conservatives aren't going out there to rally the community and get and justice like, for the situation. Bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yes. They're sitting yeah. there going, "Blue lives matter. Blue lives matter." He didn't have a gun, but he could have had a gun. You never know when yeah. they have a gun. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never know. True. So, all right. The end of Gleichschaltung. 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 The next yeah. subsection. The end of Gleichschaltung. Where we again get into Nash's argument that the Jews control the media. Wait, no, that's not it. No, that's just what it no, seems no, like. No, that was in chapter five. And well, I gotta say, it is funny because in this subsection, he brings up Steven Spielberg. And I want to say, yeah, uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg <laughs> like, is Jewish. The, and he says, the enemy, and he says the enemy is not Michael Moore, but Steven Spielberg yes, is the direct yes. quote. And I, and I just have to say, you're arguing that the media is the fascist, evil people. Steven Spielberg is the person you say is the big man in Hollywood. You just, I'm, yeah. just get a fucking editor. Someone who will look at that and say, you know, this comes off wrong. I know yeah, it's what you really off, mean in your is, heart. This is I know it's what you mean in your heart, also. but Steven Spielberg you need to has hide not made that. a good movie in quite a while. <laughs> so he uh, goes back to, again, this chat, this subsection is about Hollywood. And he says again, you know, uh, the Hollywood and the media exclude conservatives and dissenting voices. We remember when he talked about, uh, who's the last man standing guy? Um, uh, Tim Allen. Tim Allen. Tim Allen was his big argument that conservatives are kicked out of Hollywood. Uh, yeah. So his argument now is how to counter the media. And he says, first off, we have to create rival cultural institutions, which Good they luck. just suck at. Good fucking they, luck. Yeah. yeah, they really just suck at. Uh, and he says, quote, next, when we hear on CNN, for instance, that Trump is off to a really bad start. We must learn to recognize that this means Trump is off to a really good start 
because what is bad from CNN's point of view is good from our that point is, of view. That is some George Orwell. That is, I lit, look, that, we are so like, fucking simpatico. I wrote that, in the margins, <laughs> double speak much? Yeah, we're so exactly. we we get Trump is it. We good get now. It. It's like four legs bad, two legs good. Four legs good, two <laughs> legs bad. Like... It absolutely is. And immediately following that, he writes, "Quote: We should become accustomed to treating everything we get from progressive academia, the media, and Hollywood as false." Cool. Which which is absolutely it's that double speak four legs bad, two legs good. It's exactly that. It just it's, it's we, so we ridiculous. Also... We should also it's so do, weird. Like, it's we... so weird after all these chapters of Dinesh hiding what he really thinks to hear him or to read yeah. him writing the truth about what he actually thinks. If they do that also, we should do some Bugs Bunny shit and just like make a movie that's super conservative. And then be like, <laughs> but we have to hate this because Hollywood made it. <laughs> That'd be so good. Uh, but I want to point out that Throughout this whole thing, he, he never says to provide an alternative, right, other than we need to create rival cultural institutions. But he doesn't give any idea of what they would provide that would be different than what Hollywood and the media provide, other than, of, of course, I'm sure, being blatantly racist and conservative assholes. But this next part I love is – because all he, he says to do is attack the media, attack the yeah. media. He yeah. says – that they should go further in the policy direction by cutting off federal funding for national public radio and public cool. broadcasting service. Great. Both great, are great, propaganda great. organs of the fascist left. And I just wrote, fascist Muppets, I want to see that show. I want to see. I think Groucho's Hitler. I'm pretty sure Groucho would be Hitler. Um, yeah. Big Bird is probably Goebbels. I think, I think we'd all agree on that, right? So, uh, like, it's just... Uh, I've told before about how I have gotten my mom to listen to NPR by just leaving it on in her car after I will borrow her car. And her, uh -huh. not knowing what the radio station is because she barely listens, will go, that's really good. I really like how you do all those stories and stuff, yeah. you know? And then yeah. she'll say, "What?" she'll ask me, what was that radio station? And I'll say, oh, that's NPR. And she'll go, oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought NPR was like, no, know, yeah, I know. Uh, he Dinesh also, more, more worryingly, talks about cutting off federal and state funding from, from Berkeley and oh, beyond the National that, Garden. Sending That's in fun. the National Guard yeah. to UC Berkeley. Just and, as Eisenhower did in 1957 yes. for a very different reason. Yes, yes, I know. And look, I was there at all of the Berkeley shit that happened. I was going to school there. I was there for all the protests. And the right blowing this up into some sort of fucking fascist attack on freedom when you have a you know a couple hundred students standing around watching while like 30 people break shit is it's just it's just ridiculous um but i think the most telling sentence of the entire book is this one right here where he says sure the left will howl referring to sending in the national guard and those other things but let them howl that's why we're doing it yeah and i Troll think that is the most that is the most telling thing because they glorify trolling because they don't yeah. care about actually winning. They care about pissing people off. They don't care about being right. They care about making the left angry. That's what they care about. That is the new political philosophy. Yeah. So the third point he makes here in the uh, culture war, I guess that's probably what this is. This is the culture war seg section. Yeah. Uh, he says, third, we have to create over time our own rival institutions. I know, say, of course, good luck. <laughs> yeah. I know, of course, that we can't start hundreds of new campuses of our own, but the good news is that thanks to technology, we don't have to. 
What we must do, rather, is create one or more world-class online universities that rival the best in progressive academia, which is fucking impossible. Because college is much more than sitting in front of a, a PowerPoint presentation and listening to whatever the professor has to say. And I think that's what conservatives think college is. And yeah. you and I went to two went to two of the best colleges in the world. You went to the one that sh- is ranked one, but really shouldn't be. I went to the one that is ranked third, but should really be ranked number one. So we went to two of the best colleges in the world. And I think we can probably say pretty securely that what you what is the larger part of going to college is the interaction with people around you interacting with other students interacting yep. with your professors having the best professors which you can't get at an online college having access to all of the buildings and the the infrastructure of a university that provides you with all yeah. these opportunities the Just lectures debating that you can go and to. arguing with people like it's, yeah yeah it you can't get that from an online university but i really think that this shows that what Dinesh thinks college is about is sitting in front of a screen and Propaganda. memorizing yeah, memorizing whatever the person who created it told you you need to memorize. I think that's what yeah. he thinks college is. No. I really yeah, do. Yeah, maybe. I possibly. I mean, college is fun. Dinesh should try it sometime. Yeah. Well, he he went to Din- to Dartmouth and uh, we talked about what he did. Yeah, at and was super racist. Being a fucking asshole at Dartmouth. But he writes immediately after that, if we can figure out a way to provide a high-quality education at a fraction of existing college tuition, we will revolutionize higher education and challenge perhaps even displace its existing power structure the first part of that is good if we can figure out a way to provide high quality (laughs) i know great that's what we on the left are trying to do but next we get into uh a fun in just a few years i have topped michael moore on the documentary (laughs) charts making in succession the second sixth and eighth highest grossing political documentary oh and he's so mad he doesn't have number one he's and by the way he's wrong there he hasn't topped michael moore because michael moore still has the number one grossing documentary of all time so you haven't topped michael moore fahrenheit 9-11 no, Fahrenheit 9-11 is the fo- top grossing political documentary of all time. So how can you say you topped Michael Moore you when can't. he still has the number one spot? You can't. You can't. He's just so mad he doesn't have the number one spot. But what he's arguing here is that we need to make our own movies, and he says not just documentaries, but also feature films. And this is where he says the thing about Steven Spielberg, which made us laugh so much. Mm-hmm. And next, he goes into the part that is is really funny and pathetic. Uh, which is talking about left-leaning comedians. Bill Maher, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, and John Oliver are the four he cite. And he says, currently we have little to compete with this. Uh, he says, the solution, of course, is that we need our own clowns, because he derogatorily co- referred to them as clowns. This will obviously take time. Maher and community started in local comedy clubs doing, in Beatles fashion, their eight days a week, but we should at least get this started. And I just... I just imagine Dinesh in a room full of fucking dorky-looking college Republican kids going, guys, we should just, it's an open mic. We should all go to the open mic night. They let you on. It's a two-drink minimum, but, wow. you know, we can still go they've, to the open They've mic. already deployed Dave Rubin, so watch yes. out, guys. <laughs> watch out. Again, if you people give us enough money uh, on patreon.com forward slash Kevin and Bennett, we will go see Dave Rubin live. We will yeah, we do won't. it. We will <laughs> do have, it. have to be a lot of money. Uh, but I, next, I, I will need a 10-drink minimum. 
Uh, next, we get into uh, more Dinesh conspiracy theory bullshit. Of course, he says, uh, we must also take on the Soros brigades, right? Because, of course, Antifa and angry young kids in the streets are all funded by George Soros because angry young kids need to be paid to go out and rip shit up. Uh, he says, if they tear down our posters and street signs, we should tear down theirs. Some Trumpsters have adopted countermeasures such as tracking down the identities of Antifa processors and releasing their names on social media or duct taping Antifa thugs to lampposts and stop signs. I realize this is not normal Republican activism, but it certainly gives the leftist bullies their comeuppance. So there, he just endorsed violence and fucking doxing people on social media. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's, that's um, exactly what he's saying. I know. I know. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking when he says what he actually means. And there's there's really no point to the rest of this subsection. He goes through, uh, he talks about the 200 people arrested at Trump's inauguration who now are getting off because, of course, it was ridiculous to arrest people when you had no proof that they themselves had committed a crime. You can't arrest people for being part of something when they didn't do anything illegal. Uh, and he goes back after the Berkeley stuff again. It's really stupid. But this last subsection here is called quid pro quo. And this is the fun one. This, this is, is the this fun is one. Prosecute your political enemies. That is what he says avoid here. avoid fascism. That's, that's, that's <laughs> where this one goes. That is what he says. Is I want politically motivated prosecution of people I don't like. And I just had to point out at the beginning of this subsection, he says, finally. He says, finally, I take on an issue, blah, blah, blah. Wait, is this he the said, final solution? Well, <laughs> that's true. But what annoyed me was he said finally at the beginning of the last subsection. You can't say finally and then say finally again. It just, it's stupid. Oh, yeah, that's weird. It annoys me. Right? It's fucking annoying. That's so weird. It's like he added this at the end, being like, what else can I say? (laughs) So in here, we get an admission of guilt from Dinesh D'Souza, right? He doesn't outright say it, but he is admitting guilt because he says... Uh, we saw this with IRS harassment of Tea Party groups, with the secret surveillance and harassments of dissident journalists like Cheryl Atkinson and James Rosen, and with my own selective prosecution for exceeding campaign finance laws. So he did now it. He, he he did it. He never says he didn't do it. He says it was selective prosecution, right? Uh, and he says here, no American has ever been prosecuted, let alone locked up overnight for eight months for doing what I did, trying to play up the fact that he was just in a fucking halfway house. He didn't go to jail. He was in a fucking halfway house. And he's trying to make his listeners think he was locked up in prison. Yeah, no, he wasn't. Also, it's against the fucking law. I know. I know. It is illegal. But he says here, the use of government power as a weapon against dissidents is pure fascist behavior. So, so that's exactly why what are we're you suggesting do. Yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. It's so weird. Oh, and he says, as you know, goes through whining about his. He spends a lot of time in this two pages whining about his particular situation, right? That's what most of this is. But he mm-hmm. says finally here So I'm sorely tempted to propose that Trump turn this same deadly apparatus of government on the left. Why shouldn't we deploy the IRS, the NSA, and the FBI against the left in the same way that Obama went after the Tea Party? Well, because you're overblowing what happened with the Tea Party, and we shouldn't do bad things. Why not have the IRS investigate Michael Moore in the same way the Obama administration had the FBI investigate me? Well, because there's no evidence that Michael Moore has committed any financial crimes, whereas there was clear evidence that you did because you did. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, of course, here another very telling sentence, which is, 
Personally, I'd love to see Obama occupy the bunk bed I vacated at my confinement center. And I love the choice of confinement center to make it again seem like he was in prison. But my favorite bit of this is the the next bit where he's like, there's even precedent for the approach I'm discussing during the Civil War. I'm reminding you that that is literally while the country (laughs) was at war. Lincoln learned that Confederate soldiers were killing captured black federal troops or selling them into slavery rather than treating them as lawful prisoners of war. Lincoln promptly issued an order of retaliation. So while two countries, two separate countries, you could argue, were at war, they had wartime retaliation policies. This is not war. The culture war is not a war, Dinesh. That's okay, but no, even more heinous, he just compared racist murder to him being caught for campaign yeah. finance fraud. Yeah. He yeah, thinks they exactly. are equivalent things. That is so Preach. ridiculous. Preach. So ridiculous. Uh, but uh, we're at the very end. We're on the last page of this last book. Last page. Last Fuck. page. And so this is one of the longest say, 247 pages I have ever read. Yeah. The last thing he says here is basically he wants to lock up Obama, Hillary, Loretta Lynch, uh, Eric Holder. He would love to see them all in prison. Uh, we don't need to fight lawlessness with lawlessness. Rather, we can fight lawlessness with lawfulness. Uh, even though there's no evidence, this is the thing: is you know his yeah. conspiracy bullshit. He thinks there's crime. I don't know if he actually believes his conspiracies, but his conspiracies are all that Obama and those people all committed crimes throughout the time they were in office. But as I will always do now, I will read the very read last, the last paragraph time. of this entire yeah. book. Yes. So, quote. Are we conservatives and Republicans up for the task ahead? Yes, I believe so. Look at our history. We're the party that fought a great war to end slavery, fought lynching and segregation, shut down the Ku Klux Klan, opposed eugenics and forced sterilization. Fun fact, uh, a Republican uh, GOP member in one state the other day who supports eugenics just got kicked out for saying some stupid shit, and resisted the incipient fascism of street thugs in the 1960s. You may recall those uh, street thugs uh, were fighting for civil rights. In uh-huh. sum, we're the party that has for a century and a half combated the fascism of the political left. We've won before and we can win again. We have the power now to stop them. We just have to do it. In the words of that slogan from the 1960s, if not now, when? If not us, who? And I gotta okay. say, you don't get Sorry. to use that phrase, Dinesh. No, that's our yeah, fucking like, phrase. Yeah, that was ours. That seems like some cultural appropriation going on there. Dinesh. Oh, that's, uh... Christ! Anyway, we're done. I would we're just like to say, as a closer, I have never seen a set of notes like footnotes with so many weird web addresses in it, <laughs> rather than like books. And I didn't tame. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. He spends more, he definitely cites more uh, uh, web things than books, which is not how you're supposed to do it. That's incorrect. Uh, yes. But the more the more troubling or the more stupid thing is the number of times he cites Breitbart. And I think at one yeah. point he cited Zero Hedge, which is yep. just a fucking ridiculous which conspiracy Just literally fake blog. news, yeah. Literally fake news. This is just the most ridiculous list of citations I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And we talked about throughout this book. He didn't cite where he needed citations. And he cited where it was completely useless. Yeah, super. Is the overall theme of his citation strategy for this book. Uh, But since we are done, I wanted to ask you, Benedict, uh, did we learn anything from Dinesh's book? Did we? Uh, Did we? Have you been convinced? Have you been convinced 
that Republicans are truly the party of equality and freedom, and yeah. us Democrats are all fascist. Yeah, for white people. <laughs> all white people will be equal to all other white people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's it's been a weird time, honestly. I, I, I feel like I'm actually going to miss Dinesh in my life somewhat, because oh, I haven't... God. You know, this is conservative intellectual Dinesh D'Souza. It just, like, reminds you that this is amongst the best they have to offer which is like a weird a weird place to be for me like you know we're not experts in this like this isn't what we've like we we don't write fucking book like imagine if we wrote a book being like this is the fucking path to victory and expected to be taken seriously like i'm gonna write the the right is the new communist (laughs) we'll we'll see, see where we go to our book would have far too much nuance for it to come off as any sort of strong argument, right? Because that's the thing is most real arguments need a lot of nuance and a lot of middle yeah. ground, right? So, I, look, I think the biggest pickup from this entire book has been understanding that uh, this is what Dinesh D'Souza thinks of the left. This is what people who like Dinesh D'Souza think the left thinks, and I think that's very revealing in a certain way. When they think that all we want is big, powerful, centralized government. That that's yeah. what we're after for its own yeah, end. It's, it's literally a 274-page straw, man. Yeah, it really is. Anyways, cool. uh, I'm a little wistful. I'm a little sad that we're done. Without Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.